aboard the battleship pretension. We did not figure out who was going to say this part. I'm Scott and I. Oh, that's right. I usually make Julie do it. Yeah. And then I, and then I laugh when she stumbles over her words. I forgot. Wow, to do you that. guys. <laughs> Didn't gang up on you this time. Yeah, I forget. Rude. Um, yeah, that's that's Scott uh, filling in. I'm David. Um, Scott is almost as good as Tyler, and he's filling in. Tyler is still uh, out of sorts. You can still help at uh, the GoFundMe, which you can find pinned to the top of the homepage at battleshipretention.com. There's been very exciting developments with Tyler lately. Uh, Obviously, still slow, but some some really positive things. Um, By the time you're hearing this, I will have seen him again. Um, uh, And maybe I'll have some new updates. And and, uh, actually, by the time you're hearing this, you have probably heard him again because we're doing a little uh, movie journal thing. So uh, that'll be up before this. So uh, you all, you already know all this. What am I saying? Uh, so yeah, that's, that's what's going on with Tyler. Uh, we're here for a different reason. Uh, but first I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. I use them each every day of my life. Today, I was using them to listen to the new EP by a band called Portrayal of Guilt, who are fantastic. Um, Their their, uh, album a couple of years ago, um, which I'll spare the listen to the name of, uh, was great. Now they've got a new EP. It's just called Devil Music, and it is not just a clever name. This is uh this is devil music. It's uh it's fantastic. Sounded great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds. They're available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you can use uh you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Okay, we're back. Scott? Hello. Let's get into it. Who is our guest? Uh, By whom are we blessed to be joined? I, I just, I was wandering through Hollywood. I grabbed this crazy <laughs> lady off the street mid festival. I was like, you seem to like movies. She's like, I guess I was like, you want to be on a podcast? You also want to marry me? It's Julie Sesmich. Hey, that is the exact order of events in which it happened. Yep. Thank you for rec- recounting it in such a, of a detail. Um, <laughs> for a bit of context, um, we just got back from the East Coast um, under 12 hours ago. We are jet lagged. We have no sleep. Um, and this, it's like being back at TCM Fest. It is. Yeah. And also this festival happened like a week and a half ago at this point. It's true. So like... We're a little yeah. wacky. We're a little footloose and fancy free over here. So yeah. uh, good thing you took copious notes though. Um, yeah, that's, I took some notes yes, that's um, my shtick. We, um, yeah, we're doing, we normally do obviously do any festival wrap up the podcast after the festival ends, but uh, because last week was episode eight forty, and that has to be a, uh, a profile because it's divisible by 10, but not by 50. Um, we had to talk about Michael Snow. So we're delayed. Uh, and yeah, I, you talked about being 
this being you be being tired being like the festival i would say one of my major takeaways from the 2023 tcm classic film fest is that i am in my 40s and i'm not a young man anymore <laughs> and like it was it was i was like drained you know i like i i feel like i said every tcm fest and every afi fest i come home and i say some version to natalie of like it's amazing how much just watching movies all day can take out a few somehow. I don't know how that is. Like yeah. I'm just like sitting there, but it's, well, it's like, not, it's not just the movies though. It's running between them and it's getting your cue cards and it's scrambling to get food. And as and Scott learned this year, food. and as Scott learned this year, when you're in the standby line, when you're roughing yeah. it, like doubly exhausting. Yeah. Because you are, you are a, 12th class citizen you have no rights <laughs> you get about five minutes between getting seated and the movie starting in order to yeah. gather your affairs and so if you're, you're lucky spending much more time in line yeah uh i think for me it was the like seeing a movie that starts at 9 30 or later at night and then being back for a movie that starts 9 a.m the next morning yeah. like that I used to be able to do that more. Um, but yeah, more coffee was consumed um, than usual by, by me. Um, and, uh, and then as if that wasn't bad enough, I like, according to Twitter, many people at TCM fest this year got COVID. Yeah. I uh, yep. caught COVID Still a again. Thing. Still yeah, a thing. I, um, I don't know if it was Arcturus, the the newest uh, variant. I didn't get pink eye, which I got, I know uh, is a common side effect of the Arcturus variant. But um, uh, yeah, like I, a Marvel I, villain is that yeah. really what we're calling it? <laughs> That's what it's called now. That's what the newest okay. variant is called. Yeah, um, it's been almost like it's eleven months, like almost a year since I got COVID the first time, um, and here I got it uh, again. Uh, at least, I mean, it was sad but i was at least uh i guess i felt a little bit of kinship seeing scrolling through twitter and seeing that like apparently a lot of people got it at tcm fest and um given that i a man in my 40s am on the younger end <laughs> of the people who attend tcm fest i hope everyone's okay indeed you know and i like this is gonna make me sound like i'm an anti like whatever but like i was masking like oh yeah same uh a lot of people weren't which is fine. I don't, you know, I, I don't get bent out of shape about that anymore, but, um, I was masking and I still got it. Cause obviously like all it takes is once, like, you know, I, like I mentioned, I was having coffee. So I could pull my mask down while I'm having my coffee in my seat. That's why that's when it could have happened or it could have happened at the fucking hard rock cafe. When I stopped in for a Buffalo chicken sandwich, when I had a, 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 a longer lunch break between movies. So yeah, COVID is, uh, yeah, still, still with us. Um, and, uh, I just got it again, but somehow didn't pass it on to Natalie this time, which is, which is pretty great. It was a pretty mild case. She's made it of uh, stronger stock than you, David. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Cause last fall I got sick. Wasn't COVID. I tested multiple times. It was not COVID. I think it might've been RSV. That's what like, uh, given the timing and giving how, just how fucking sick I was, yeah. uh, last fall. And she never got that either. Uh, I don't know. She's impervious, I guess. Uh, I mean, anyway. I am still COVID undefeated. So I think, I think the wives come out on top this round. Win for the Jewish wives. The Jewish wives are winning. <laughs> this is the Jewish wives club. We have terrible um, stomachs, but great immune systems. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, that's uh, the good for you for still not not getting it, you know. Um, but I guess it's it's these big gatherings. The first time for me, it was a concert, um, an indoor concert, and and this time it was a film festival. Uh, anyway, so did you have stay boosted? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I want to know if if anyone else has any other like general thoughts or takeaways. Like, was it was it a good fest? Did you have any? Were there any vibes you wanted to remark on? I would say that for me, this was kind of a lackluster festival, but that might have been my fault. Mm. Like, I might have just picked the wrong movies. You know, um, I saw Always like a chance I mean, I, it's user error. <laughs> Yeah. Like going through my letterboxd, uh, I, I know Scott, you don't do the stars on letterboxd, but I think I saw two movies that I gave five stars. That's not bad. Right. Doesn't but seem I, that feel bad like to I, me. I feel like I usually do more. Um, I think the big thing I'm settling in on is just getting more comfortable with going and having the bulk of my viewings be rewatches because every year there's more and more stuff on the schedule that I've just seen. Yeah. And so I'm just like, that's okay. Get to see a movie, you know, properly theatrically that I might not have seen theatrically before or get to see it theatrically again. And to be clear, it's not that the bulk of what you're seeing is rewatches. It's just that the rewatches are creeping in, creeping more. in more. Yeah. I'm trying to see. Let's yeah. I see. still have, I still don't do rewatches. Um, at T- I never have watched a movie at TCM Fest that I've seen before. It's mm. never happened. Uh, but I actually did have that thought that like, I wonder if part of the reason I might have mischosen is because I was trying to see new stuff when I could have seen a great movie that I'd seen before yeah. and that I saw a, a, a mid movie that I, that I hadn't seen, but I do wonder like, I, cause yeah, you, like you said, every year that I go, the, the pool of movies I haven't seen gets smaller. And I wonder if some year I will just do a rewatch because there won't be anything else in that time slot Probably. <laughs> um, that, that could happen. Um, Oh, I had another thought about that. Uh, and I already lost. Oh yeah. I was also going to say like, I always try to like fill in at least one like major blind spot at TCM fest. And those have gotten like, uh, you know, it's one thing to like back in 2016, see the passion of the Joan of Arc for the first time, right? you know? Um, but like, I keep watching more movies. So now like Ernst Lubitsch's heaven can wait was my big blind spot that I watched this year, which is a, a, a great movie. I'm glad I saw it, but it doesn't seem as like glaring a blind spot as some of the People other are ones. going to yell at you about it. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I would say it also, it depends like what the purpose of TCM fest is to you, you know, because it's like, we live in LA. We're very spoiled. We know that like, Things like Lawrence of Arabia or Casablanca, like they're just right. going to show all the time, but like That's there's less point. urgency. Yeah. Whereas one year I was talking to some women who had flown in from, I want to say Sweden. And we were like comparing notes about like what they were seeing and they were only seeing things that they had seen before because they, I, you know, it's obviously it's a very expensive investment. And I think they were like, we don't have as much of like a rep culture there. And it's like, we want sure things. So it's just like mm-hmm. people do it all different people do it very differently you know yeah you can't i I can't blame the people who buy passes for doing whatever they feel is right because they are not cheap yes uh i try to be very thankful that i get in for for free every year um but uh yeah uh i i guess i um covered all the 
the the bases. Um, I will just say I mean, that the the Hollywood and Highland complex somehow <laughs> has less food every single year. No, it's unreal. It's unreal. And yeah. up by the Legion, there's like no food. So I was sitting there eating a sandwich because there's a subway across the street. I scrambled and got it. Mm-hmm. I'm not making this up. A woman got right up in my face and says, she is a sandwich. Let's mug her. And then laughed maniacally and walked away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I don't know what to make. And I was like, people have lost their minds. They're starving out here. <laughs> Inciting um, violence, but yeah, less yeah. and less food every year. Yeah. Yeah. Hollywood <laughs> Highland. I, I like, let, uh, I love TCM fest, but let's talk some shit about the venue. Hollywood. Highland. Mm-hmm. Um, because I wonder now, about it's now the, known as Ovation. Let's be clear. Ovation. Ovation. Yeah. Is the name of it. It no longer has the DW Griffith uh, thing, which yeah. is like, it's still tragic. Like it, it was so cool yeah. and weird that anyway. Um, anyway. So now it's like blander looking, but also I wonder about the, the people you mentioned. A lot of people fly in for this festival and like it went, underwent the change, like, by, from Hollywood and Highland to Ovation, like sort of during the pandemic. And last year, there was a lot of like, you know, stores that aren't open yet and signs that say like, pardon our star, stardust or something. And I, and I wonder if people who went last year were like, oh, I wonder what's going to be different this year. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Except Nothing less. Literally, the there's year. less. Yeah, there's less food on the top floor for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, well, there's, but there's a new burrito place that I didn't go to. I didn't either. Uh, I did hear. No, I, I didn't notice this. Yeah. It's, ne- it's next to the pokey play poke place. Cause the like, pokey place wasn't open as far as I could tell. That sucks. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, as, as I talked about a year ago, I stopped going to Cabo Wabo, which was my go-to. It's still there, <laughs> but I stopped going because they had like anti-vax like signage oh, right. on, oh, on yeah. the door. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, eh, I don't want to like, support that so i did two things i went i went to i went to hard rock which has surprisingly good food at hard okay. rock okay that is surprising uh, and then i made the mistake because i'd gone to i had gone to hard rock during afi fest so i went to hard rock i was like i know i'm gonna get something good here and uh like i mentioned buffalo chicken sandwich very good and so maybe i i, I flew too close to the sun and i was like <laughs> wow if hard rock has surprisingly good food i wonder what the food is like at Dave and Buster's. <laughs> no, it, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, no, it's bad. Um, uh, Dave and Buster's has a good bar that I'd never been in there before. And like, I now will keep it in mind if I like want a drink between movies, like Dave and Buster's has a perfectly nice, uh, uh, bar. Um, you can get a beer in a 16 or 20 ounce glass, which I, which I like. That's such a common thing in San Diego, like a comic con, like every bar hmm. in the gas lamp, is like 16 or 20 ounces. I don't know why that isn't like a common thing everywhere, but anyway, um, that's what David Buster's has. So I like that, but I, yeah, I got like some also chicken, like Buffalo chicken and it was so bad. It was like cafeteria shit. It was, yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I'll probably stick with the hard rock, I guess <laughs> that Japanese restaurant on the fourth floor is also pretty solid. I, yeah, but I've had probably cause I, I try to cram as many movies in at TCM Fest. Yeah, it's harder to find the time for the Japanese place. And I, yeah, I have had problems with them taking a long time with the service there. So I, yeah. I, I never, I'm never sure if I only have 45 minutes. I know I can sit sit at the bar in Hard Rock and get a sandwich in 20 minutes. You know. Anyway, hey, there's uh, always the street hot dogs too. That's God love them. Yep, that's true. And across there's um, what's it called? 
at the Roosevelt, not there's a fancy place at Roosevelt. But what's the like? There's like a gastro pub bar. Oh yeah, like 20, 25, 25 degrees. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's it's a little overpriced, like a lot of the stuff in the Roosevelt well, is, but it's but it's good. You could do a lot worse. All right. Um, Are we going to talk about movies or just? Yeah. yeah. So the point is. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about movies. Um, yeah, I could just talk about Hollywood and Highland though, um, because here's the thing. I, <laughs> As I think I've said before, like my first ever PA gig was a corporate Disney gig that it was like two weeks and it was one week in the office. And then the second week was at the then Kodak theater where the, the, the corporate event was. So that's 2005, like right after I moved here, I've been going to Highland 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 that entire time. And now when I go back there, the handful of stores that are still there from like 2005, I'm um, like, they're like my old war buddies. Now. <laughs> like, uh, I'm, like, I'm like, good to see you hanging in there. Chato out to your room. Uh, <laughs> looking good. Uh, Kelly, what is it called? Tea and coffee exchange or whatever. Um, yeah. Uh, but not, not sweet. Sweet's gone. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway. We're not talking about Hollywood Highland anymore, as much as I want to. Separate so Patreon. About, yeah, we're, yeah. That's oh man. Okay. Uh, yeah, Hollywood and Highland memories on the Patreon. We we should do that. All right. Um, now let's talk about the movies that we saw. We're gonna go. We're gonna start on Thursday night, right? That's yes. Yep. When it started. Okay. Uh, so I've got two that I watched on 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 Thursday night. And we just watched. Uh, we just watched a really long one. We just have so, one. Uh, I've learned my lessons from the past. I'm going to let the guest go first. What okay. did you guys watch? Um, we saw Airport from 1970 um, on a brand new 70 millimeter print, which was wow. a dang treat. It looked amazing. It sounded amazing. This was at the Hollywood Legion, um, which is up the street and is able to. I didn't even know they could do 70 millimeter there. So yeah, really yeah, I saw sound and music in 70 a couple of years ago. Okay. Well, look at you, but yeah, um, pretty tight. <laughs> um, it also uh, rather surprisingly, it had an intro from Eddie Muller, who is known more for his noir stuff, mm-hmm. which I got to say, we are huge Eddie Muller fans in this house, because if you have only ever seen him do intros, like on TCM, it's a totally different in person. Like he is a different beast because he's just off the cuff. And he like, He's like the best movie hype man you've ever seen, because even if it's a movie that's like not perfect, like he lets you in on what he loves about it. And he was very much like that. Like he called this a movie movie. He's like, you know, it's the early 70s and like Easy Rider came out and things are changing. But sometimes you don't need all that. Like sometimes you want a whole audiences that weren't going to see those movies or they just wanted no part of it. And they're like, sometimes you just want something very straightforward. And this is that. And I love it. It has a lot of stars in it. Yeah. Which, and that was kind of interesting because that was, it was billed as like so many stars and it has a lot of stars, but with the exception of arguably Jacqueline Bissett, they are all very much past their prime. Well, that tells you about audience. I mean, it's aiming for the not easy writer audience. It's aiming for all the people who are like, what the fuck are all these movies? Why are movies changing? I just want a nice movie. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because I, um, I don't know how to say this without sounding super pretentious, but I recently read Joan Didion's The White Album. (laughs) And in it, she talks about how like kind of the easy rider effect was like a little bit overstated. Like it's not that that didn't happen, but it's like easy rider happened and these other movies happen. And then when it was like, okay. And then they just kept making a lot of the same kinds of movies they had been making. 
And that just didn't stop, Mm -hmm. you know? So this is very much that it was nominated for 10 Oscars. It was a huge smash. Um, It won a single Oscar is for Helen Hayes in a supporting role, which like you expect, it's going to be something super dramatic. It is not. She's the comic relief for sure. Um, She plays this dotty old lady who um, in a very pre 9-11 move loves sneaking onto flights. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I got to say, I was getting a little frustrated at the audience doing like, the knowing laughter well, of like flights were so different then. Like every time people smoke on a plane, they just like lose their minds. And it's like, okay, we get it. There is also like, there's a surprising amount of, even given that the movie is called airport, there's a surprising amount of detail, but it's just like how airports work within the movie. It's true. So it, it does invite, you know, a certain dated perspective of them just like walking through all the things she does do in order to sneak on a plane. It's like the entire boarding process is completely different now. And so it just dissects the minutia of how airports were run. And so some of that's going to happen. And also I would say there's this, a scene where they're serving food on the airplane and is the biggest tower of shrimp cocktail I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Um, So it's, it's an interesting movie because it's kind of, it's sort of billed as a disaster movie, but it's, so it's advertised as a movie about a bomb on a plane. Right. And it's not, not that, but it actually takes a really long time for that to get going. Like there is not like a plane in the air until like, I don't know, two, thirds of the way through it. Oh, yeah. And then the bomb doesn't get introduced until a ways after that. Yeah. So it's like, but what it kind of does really nicely is it ties together a lot of different plot threads. Cause it's not called airplane. It's called yeah. airport. And it's mm-hmm. like, there's all these situations. There's like a plane that landed in the wrong spot on the runway. And then there's a plane with the bomb. And then there's like a snowstorm. And then there's like, people are about to, there's about to be a strike or something. And then there's people in the neighborhood who are mad that the planes are loud. And it's like all these things get woven together. All of which Burt Lancaster is trying to wrangle because he's like the general manager of the airport. Yeah. And, um, but so there's also a melodrama component and it's like, we got like, he's like, his marriage is dissolving amidst this. Cause he works um, too damn hard at the airport. He works too hard at the airport. <laughs> um, yeah. Meanwhile, Dean Martin's gotten a stewardess pregnant. Hate oh, wow. it when that happens. Um, yeah. I mean, practically. I mean, kind of. Dean Martin's always kind of playing Dean Martin. Yeah. So. Dean, but like, Dean Martin is having a lot of fun playing a pilot. Oh, for, for sure. sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, there's also a lot of like 40s actors in, like actors who were in their peak in the 40s, yeah. and that's fun because like Van Heflin is a big character, and like Lloyd Nolan plays this like savant customs guy yeah. <laughs> that you're. He's like that guy is something going on with that guy, and you're like, if Lloyd Nolan thinks something's up. <laughs> Um, George Kennedy, I believe, has a cigar in his mouth for the entire one time. His shtick is he like really wants to get the stuck airplane out of the snow by just gunning it as hard as he can. Yeah, he's like the chief mechanic guy who like knows how to talk to the airplanes, but like his yeah. one move is just gun it really hard. <laughs> so it's kind of it's it is like a movie movie. Yeah. It is like we're watching a lot of stars have an aviation theme crisis. And the ending is like, not everyone gets a happy ending. It's true. Um, you would expect that all the wives triumph over the mistresses. They do not. No. Um, big, big, big heyday for mistresses, <laughs> I guess. Um, but yeah, I had a good time. I did too. It was like, a lot of people say it was like dull and the pacing was stupid and it's like, whatever. And it's like, you're not wrong. 
song. I think at home, I would have felt it more like seeing it on 70 millimeter with with a crowd that like, even if they weren't reacting alongside the movie, sometimes against Mm -hmm. it, we're at least engaged and fun. And I do just kind of love a plane movie. It's like everything is so heightened. Yeah. Everything that goes wrong is quite literally. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we had a grand old time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What about you? What was night one? Well, I am, I, I, I'm obsessed with like the little, like, uh, dovetails and coincidences that pile up at festivals uh for me and uh, unintentionally for the second year in a row i kicked off tcm fest with a william powell k francis pre-code movie okay i mean you you could do a lot worse yeah uh so last year it was jewel robbery this year it was tay garnett's one-way passage um uh which is a movie in which uh k francis um by the way i've seen three k francis movies in my entire life all of them at tcm fest um, that's very strange yeah uh the two i mentioned then girls about town you should um, watch more they're all like 70 minutes long yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah this one is it's under this is like 68 minutes or something perfect um and uh if this is a i i wanted to uh call up our our friend uh matt patterson because years ago he and i or he and tyler and i did an episode on cruise ship movies which we, mm-hmm. and we yeah. included like luxury liners and one of the passages uh it starts in hong kong um and uh william powell plays a fugitive who's wanted for uh, a murder he did commit Remember, this is a pre movie. <laughs> um, he's a he, he's he's a murderer. They do at least like throw in a line to imply that the guy he murdered was like a real piece of shit. So <laughs> oh well, okay. then it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> right. Perfect. Yeah. Um. So he's so he gets arrested and he's um uh on board this ship, but he essentially cons the the arresting officer who's accompanying him all the way back to to San Francisco to to face trial or whatever uh to let him have free reign of the ship because he did, like he doesn't he's like where am i gonna go you know and he in a very clever way cons him into into doing it um and then Kay francis plays a wealthy woman who is dying of uh an undetermined uh unnamed terminal disease uh and they have this adorable like meet cute in hong kong and then they run into each other again on the boat and they basically spend the entire boat ride the three weeks or whatever it takes from hong kong to san francisco uh just like flirting and hanging out and falling in love but neither one telling the other what's really going on uh so uh they're i mean it's william paul and k K francis and they're just so incredibly charming uh and charmed by one another and um uh so there's a lot of the movie that is fun to watch but there's also this sense of doom literally like she's dying you know even if he somehow gets out of the 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 his his prison sentence or whatever um uh she's still gonna die and 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 uh and that hangs over the the whole thing um so yeah i i like that and i i, I like um i like uh talking about I like pre-codes for the same reasons a lot of people do, which is that it has um, things like us rooting for a murderer to, sure. <laughs> to 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 not go to jail, and also like the the cop is like not a 
great guy. Um, and I like to, I like to pay, like, you know, I, I feel like when in the pre in the code years that uh, you didn't get a lot of, like, if a cop was bad, they at least like paid for it here. This is just guys, just like a kind of a slime ball cop. <laughs> um, uh, but there's also this sort of rogues gallery. Like he's William Powell's this like career criminal and con man. And there are a couple of other criminals that like, it's like they're like this global network of like they all just know each other and there are a couple other criminals on the boat who are like hey we're gonna help our friend william powell out um and like are keep trying to like distract the cop uh anyway uh warren heimer plays the co- cop i don't know him i don't know that man <laughs> yeah it sorry like to this man mr deeds goes to town and meet john doe so he's in movies i've seen but i didn't didn't recognize him so that was the first thing I watched. The second movie I watched on Thursday night, uh, directed by Henry Cornelius. It's a 1953 British comedy called Genevieve. Uh, Genevieve, no character in the movie is named Genevieve. Genevieve is the name of an automobile. So this is 1953. And uh, God, what's his name? John Gregson is the actor, I think. Yeah. Um. And he is a member of an old car club. Like by 1953, in 1953, an old car is like the first cars, you know? He's a a member of a club, like the Royal Motor Club or something like that, that they, they keep up these old cars. And then once a year they have, they all like drive their cars to Bristol and stay overnight at a hotel by the beach and have a big dinner and ball. And then drive their cars back the next day. And, uh, this, uh, movie takes place over the course of that and it's revealed right at the beginning that his wife uh, is sick of this it does, like doesn't want to do it again but uh, agrees to and that sort of that sort of like tension and there's a lot of passive aggression between the two like fuels a lot of the comedy but also a lot of the discomfort of of, of the movie Um it it becomes a, like a wacky road trip movie, but it's at its core, it never stops being like surprisingly like specific and insightful about the bitterness between long married couples and the way that the way that people can fight when they know each other's buttons. Oh, and yeah. they, like they, you know, like don't want to hurt their feelings, but they kind of do want to hurt their feelings. And like, th- there's, there's that, that passive aggression that, uh, yeah, it's, so I, I was really surprised um, by that. Really, really well acted. Also, um, there's uh, a very cute dog in the movie, big old St. Bernard, um, that one of the other racers, uh, he, uh, uh, there's his buddy, the main guy's buddy in the car club. He, his thing is he invites a different woman every year and every year somehow fails to get laid <laughs> his running thing. and so he's invited this woman who uh has a big pet dog uh that has that sits in the back of their old jalopy the entire movie uh i love i love a dog i love a movie and a, a movie dog uh so yeah I, I was really surprised um by by genevieve the only thing i'll say though uh i i learned from and i can't remember it was someone I can't remember who introduced the movie now, but he warned us that uh, the movie had a variable density soundtrack. I didn't know what that was, but I, don't think I know that either. Yeah. So I guess most optical tracks 
um, that you uh, have on prints, especially prints made after, you know, uh, I don't know, in the last 50 years are variable area. This one's variable density. And I guess because, because variable area has become the dominant form, that's kind of what projectors are geared towards. So variable density does not sound good. So that is something I, you know, you kind of had to get used to this, but the movie did not sound good. Like anytime Mm, that anytime anyone talked, there was a a noise like, you, you know, surrounding, like, I don't even know how to scratchy noises surrounding it. And like, if, Luckily, because it's a you know a wild comedy, there's a lot of shouting, which you can understand. But sure. in quieter scenes where people are just talking, you would often like lose the dialogue and hmm. all the the noise uh, around it. So that's unfortunate. But at least I got to learn something about uh, film formats. Sure. Yeah, it's or, or when you first format. when you first said it, it sounded like a value added feature. Yeah. And I was like, oh, what's that? It's like, oh no, yeah. okay, no, yeah, it's bad. All right, well, let's move on to Friday then. Um, yeah, we just uh, okay. we just had one late at night, so I don't know if you want to start earlier in the day. Uh, well, I, I I worked on Friday, so I went to two in the in the evening. Um, yeah, I, I maybe some maybe some year I'll take Friday off of work during TCM Fest and go all day. But like I said, this one almost this this festival almost killed me, so I don't know if I can do another all day. Yeah, weirdly, this year on the Friday, I had seen everything before that screened before seven o'clock, except for one movie. So I was kind of wow. looking at the schedule like, eh, I don't really feel like I need to haul out and wait in standby lines. Um, so uh, I guess that means that you have seen George, Steven, George Stevens' Penny Serenade, uh, which, is, which is where I, I, I kicked things off. Um, oh, right. Of course you have, because you're a, a Carrie Grant, Grant fan. And that's like his yeah. one Oscar nomination. Uh, it makes sense. It's very much an Oscar yeah. type of movie. Um, I mean, it's like still, I mean, it's, I think George Stevens is great. It's a well executed version of that, but, um, it's still pretty sappy. <laughs> um, uh, it is, but man, it, it, I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it, but it got me big time. I was like practically weeping apart. Yeah. That I didn't like, there are definitely scenes that work. I, I felt it, it, it feels long. I'm trying to, I think it's like a, I think it's like two hours even. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it says. Uh, 120 minutes. And I felt like I felt all two hours of it, but that sounds like a complaint. I still really liked it. I love Cary Grant and Irene Dunn. Um, uh, also Alexander Payne um, introduced to this movie. That's cool. Um, uh, yeah. It, yeah, it was. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, um, there was something else I was going to say about it, but Cary Grant and I are done play a, uh, a, a couple who um, eventually they have to adopt. They um, he's a sort of ambitious entrepreneurial guy who want who, 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 who is not happy the job he has, even though it's a good job writing for a, a newspaper and being there like Tokyo man, he's stationed in Tokyo. He flies her out. They, they're married and, uh, she's pregnant and then there's an earthquake and she has a miscarriage and the nature of the miscarriage is such that she can no longer bear children uh, a- at all. Um, she can no longer wear the diadem of motherhood. <laughs> That's from, uh... <laughs> do you know the Lois Weber uh, uh, abortion movie? Like uh, where are my children? It's like the silent movie. Yes. Um... 
Yeah. It's like an anti-abortion movie where it's yeah. about like a rich society woman who keeps getting like cheating on her husband and getting yeah. pregnant and getting abortion after abortion. And when when she learns that she has done whatever to her body and she can't have children anymore, the title card says she can no longer wear the diadem of mother. <laughs> this is maybe the most obscure poll yeah. you have ever had on this a, podcast. Reference. It's a it's a phrase I think of often. I I mean I always just go to the raising Arizona thing where it's like her, her room her room was a what was it like a rocky a bare, patch yeah, yeah a rocky place where my seed could find no purchase yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right uh, so anyway then they uh, they adopt and I don't know I I want um well my my wife works in fostering and adoption for the county but also Tyler adopted I I want someone who is gone through this process to watch this movie and see how bad shit i don't know maybe maybe back in what what year is this uh, 40 41 41 41 maybe maybe this is how it went but it seems completely bad shit that they like <laughs> they like qualify for a baby um and then first and then the woman at the adoption agency just like bumps them to the top of the line line because she likes them for some reason um yeah, it was the 40s everything was done moxie yeah. yeah so but then it's like okay you have this baby for a one-year trial period yeah <laughs> that was unexpected <laughs> yeah um and so anyway it's uh uh the movie takes place over a number of years because by the end of the movie the the kid is like what seven or something uh, i don't remember but yeah take your word so it takes place over over a long time um and uh yeah, a lot of a lot of it seems kind of like, yeah, tear jerky type of uh, melodrama. There's also some really masterful scenes when they first get home with the baby, and they are yeah. trying to make it because they live. He buys a newspaper, and they live above the like offices, so he's trying to get through the offices and the printing area up the stairs into their apartment without waking the baby. The two of them are, and it's this like it's almost like the fucking high scene in Rafifi. It's like this long, <laughs> this long segment where no one's speaking, but all of these little things are happening that they have to like stop, like, you know, stop everything from making noises at every, at every moment. It's a really, really great masterful scene, by George Stevens and, and the two of them. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad I saw it. Fine. Okay. Right on. And then I think the second one you saw is the one that I saw. Cause this is the one, this is the one. This is the only time I saw Julie the entire festival. <laughs> I was there. I swear. Um, no, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, for, you can talk about it. For some context, uh, as we were walking over to see this movie, we got a ping in our app that was like, "There's an emergency. Don't go Shelter anywhere. Shelter in place. Shelter in yeah. place." And we're like, "What?" So I started looking on Twitter. There was a shooting. There was a shooting at the festival. I checked out at the well, festival at, 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 at the mall. At ovation. Um, I I checked in on it today. I think the suspects are still at large, actually. Um, It was like an altercation that turned violent, is my understanding. But like, we did not have that information at the time. So we're just like standing on the corner being like, do we go closer? And I'm like texting David and like texting everyone I know there. Be like, are you okay? And like, everyone I texted, that was the first they'd heard of it. Um, Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I was, I had gotten out of Penny Serenade. 
And I was just like standing at the bar ordering a beer to drink between the two movies. And I was like, oh, let me check my phone. And Julie's like, are you at Hollywood and Highland? Are you okay? <laughs> I was like, yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, I heard people around me talking about it, that people, um, people who got out of movies that got out before Penny Serenade did weren't allowed to leave the lobby of, yeah. the, of the Chinese six. Uh, and then, yeah, you guys weren't allowed in at first, but like, it's all after the fact, but yeah, I guess someone got shot, but survived. Am I yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and then it was a, a man and a woman. Yeah. The, and they was, got I, away on the train. Yeah. They, cause the, there's a train stop at Hollywood and Highland, which is how I got there. Uh, and they, um, uh, went North, they think, I guess. Uh, um, but, uh, uh, it was recent cause I was like looking at Twitter, uh, feeds that like listen to LA police scanners. Yeah. Um, and, uh, initially the report went out that it was two women who, who were shot, who, who had, who were fleeing, but, uh, I guess it, it was a man and a woman. Um, okay. Completely off topic, but I mentioned following, uh, you know, LAPD type of, uh, Twitter accounts, the actual LAPD account, which I don't follow. Did you see a thing a couple weeks ago where they tweeted out like a poll, like, like, how many cops would you like to see in your neighborhood? Oh yeah. More than currently, fewer than yeah. currently or the same and like running away fewer. <laughs> it was like 80% of people yeah. voted fewer. And so they just took down the poll. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. I think they laugh. probably misjudge who uses Twitter. And also and how I, I would imagine. Oh, I would imagine that a lot. I don't, but I would imagine a lot of people in LA who follow the LAPD on Twitter do so because they're not fans of the LAPD. Totally. Yeah. You know, I think that's a big, uh, a big part of their follower base. That they didn't realize anyway. So, uh, so yeah. anyway, that I'm was a weird, uh, yeah. Yeah. But that was a weird way to start the night. Um, but all of it to say, we did make it to the movie. It was Frank Borzegi's. I think so. Frank Borzegi's that's, that's man's castle. They, yeah. The person who introduced yeah. it, I forgot who it is. Um, Said that. Said it. Yeah. Never... So we have been wanting to see this for a while. Tried on several occasions. Tried on several occasions, but we're actually glad that this was the first time because it was a restoration that actually restored eight minutes of previously censored footage, which for a super short movie is like a lot. It was like ten percent of the good movie. chunk of change. Um, yeah, the movie. So the final. Is... It's only an hour and fifteen minutes in its final uh, version. Yeah. And it wasn't just. From what I understand, it wasn't just restored. In, they didn't just add stuff back. They also put it back in the right order. Um, because I guess yeah, basically, for, when it was, yeah. it was released in 1938, which is post code. And so one of the major things they did is I guess minor spoilers for man's castle, the wedding scene, they moved way up to the second reel. So, oh. that, so that the fact that these two are living together in clearly. Yeah. Oh yeah. Not, yeah. So um, yeah, they had, I think they like cut out characters entire, like it was totally butchered. So yeah. I was glad to see it like intact. Um, it has nudity. I was scandalized. I mean, not really, but like you see a butt, there's some butts, you see butts, but um, so this is, I think maybe only my second or third Frank Borzaghi movie I've seen. The man is an emotional assassin. Like he needs to be, well, he has stopped. He's dead, but like, <laughs> I think God took care of that. God took care of that. But like I saw seventh heaven, which is another film of his last year at TCM fest. And I said it was ravishing and I don't throw that word around, but I will stand by it. This movie too is ravishing. I feel like Frank Borzaghi is incredible 
at making movies about broken people finding love with each other. Like he's kind of, I don't often speak in superlatives. I don't want to say he's the undisputed champion of that, but he is very good at it. Um, So this is like, it's made during the depression. It's set during the depression. The stars are Spencer Tracy and Loretta young, who, by the way, fell in love in real life. Um, Loretta young always considered him the one who got away, but they're both super Catholic and he was already married. So nothing doing. Um, But they fall in love and she, when they meet, they're both like homeless and she hasn't eaten in two days and he invites her to come live with him in like a shanty town, basically. Um, like a Hooverville. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. they kind of are like playing house almost. And it it strikes a very good balance because it's like it's depicting extreme poverty with compassion, but without sensationalism. So it's very matter of fact in that it shows pain, but it also shows joy. And it shows like, you know, it's it can be very hard to strike that balance. And I feel like he really... Uh, the movie really succeeds at that. Um, it's it's a really interesting relationship between the two. Um, he's really mean to her a lot of the time. <laughs> um, the relationship's interesting. So he'll be nice to her, immediately regret it, forcibly backpedal and just say horrible things. But she knows it's all a ruse and she doesn't care. And then she becomes really dependent on him, but then finds her independence. But then they stay in love. It's like very it's very Freudian almost, but like, yeah, it's fascinating, but like really sweet. And I cried and it looks gorgeous and somebody else talk now. <laughs> no, I mean, all that yeah, stuff. This is the second mentioning... movie in a row. Sorry. I, I didn't cry at Penny Serenade or this. What is wrong with me? I, I guess you don't, you're just... ha- you don't have I'm normally, to cry. But I'm normally an easy cry. In movies. You're, you're in your forties. You just, uh, have given up on life. You take, I guess so, uh, yeah. No pleasure yeah, or sorrow. Right up. No, I mean, this is like the angle of pre-code increasingly that I'm more about. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, I don't, I don't think it was last year. A couple of years ago, we talked about, um, ah, hell, what's the Dorothy Arzner movie that- Apparently uh, we go to hell? Yeah. Um, that's like a really sharp pre-code movie that's actually about like adult relationships and isn't just like an excuse for people to titter at, you know, more overt references to sex. Aren't we being naughty? Yeah. Which is like so much what the TCM crowd goes for. And we'll get to that in a movie or two. Um, But this is like the kind of shit that like really takes advantage of the pre-code format. And like, yeah, you could show some people living in sin and treating each other terribly. And we still have kind of nostalgic and romantic feelings about them because, you know, we're all a little broken and we've all been broken towards other people. And it can kind of account for that in a more full way than a lot of the postcode stuff could. Um, yeah, I, this is, might be my new favorite Spencer Tracy performance even. He is great. He is, I was saying, is this, I mean, this is maybe hard to quantify, but I feel like it's maybe the most abrasive role I've seen from him where yeah. he's still ostensibly the protagonist. Right. Yeah, because he's like, yeah, you mentioned how like insulting he is to her. He like cheats on her. And but he's there's still like a subtext he's playing throughout the entire movie of like regretting both ends of it, where like he regrets the cheating, he regrets being sweet to her, he regrets being mean to her. He doesn't really seem like at any point kind of set and satisfied with himself, but he's always kind of presenting himself with a certain bravado um, to seem very uh, confident and sure of himself. And the way that he toes that line is really incredible. 
it's also like pretty funny. It has like a lot of weird bits because like in a lot of ways, the depression was like the ultimate gig economy, right? Of like people just do random jobs for a day. So he takes all these odd jobs, one of which is walking around on stilts to advertise a restaurant. And these are really high stilts. So it's, he's tall enough that he can just stick his head in second story windows and just be like, how's it going in here? (laughs) Um, Which is just so weird. And then there's just like, he just like starts chatting with a kid in like a second story window and signs a baseball for him that he pretends is from Babe Ruth. And it's just like a delightful non sequitur. Um, Another one is that he serves legal papers to a showgirl in the middle of her performance by just walking on stage. (laughs) Cause he has a friend who's been like trying to do the same job. She's a lot of bodyguards. Yeah. He's like, if you cut me in for it, uh, can I get, can I get a slice of it? If I do it, he's like, good luck getting past those bodyguards. And so he just attends the show and just walks on stage and does the full Olivia Wilde. Yeah. <laughs> the full Olivia Wilde. Um, Let's not blame Olivia Wilde for that. I know, but I don't know the that name of the process server. <laughs> so like, True. what am I going to say? Um, of yeah. note, that showgirl is played by our household favorite, Glenda Farrell, yeah. who is always a delight, who is apparently completely cut out of the edited version and audience is so much the poorer for it. Indeed. Um, but yeah, uh, it was great. I don't know, uh, David, if you have any other thoughts. I, yeah, I think I was just looking at the Spencer Tracy films that I've seen, and I do think, yeah, this is my new favorite performance. He reminded me uh, of De Niro in New York, New York. Um, sure, I can see that. In, in, in terms of like, he clearly loves this woman, but is not in a place in his own personal mental and behavioral development to uh express it in anything close to a healthy way uh yeah i i I really really liked man's castle but it wasn't one of my two five stars i'll call those out when i get to them um i will also say it had possibly the strangest rear projection i've ever seen in a movie i wrote that down yeah yes yeah, because for some reason, it's a scene where the two of them are just standing in the middle of the street. And for some reason, instead of like hiring extras to just be around them, they had rear projection of people walking around them. So suddenly the people were way too big. Yeah, it's like all weirdly sized. And, it's yeah, extremely alarming. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. But other- so let's move on yeah. to Saturday where I saw five movies. Dear yeah. God. Many, I once did... Many- I once did six on one day at TCM Fest, and I was like, I think I found my limit. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, if I had gone to a midnight movie, I could have done six, but yeah. five is five is plenty. Um, how many did you see on Saturday? Uh, four. Okay, so I I'll did. start. Well, I guess I only saw three, and then we did one at home, so. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I'll start. Um, I, again, I love these little uh, coincidences. I saw another spencer tracy movie um i saw uh 1938's boys town directed by norman torog and um i guess there's maybe something a little bit reassuring to realize that liberal hollywood movies with a liberal message that i agree with that are also not very good and like (laughs) self-righteous and and self-congratulatory is not a new thing apparently they were doing it as long ago as 1938 boys town is unfortunately not very good um but spencer tracy it's based on a true story spencer tracy plays uh a man in now i'm forgetting what state it's in um like nebraska or something um doesn't matter (laughs) 
it matters to me. <laughs> uh, I'm just curious, like something particular it about matters to Spencer Nebraska Tracy. politics that factors into the, why they had to make a town for boys. My whole association <laughs> with this movie is just that Simpsons joke, by the way, where they go like too crazy for boys town, too much of a boy for crazy town. <laughs> That's all I know about this movie. Um, wait, uh, speaking of crazy town, you remember the band crazy town? Who could forget? Sure. Did you hear about what recently happened? The no. two leads, the two lead singers had it. They were playing a show as part of a festival, had a terrible show and got into a fucking fist fight afterwards. The one beat the shit out of the others and they got kicked off the tour. But you oh, can see the, like the, the one dude posted a picture of his face, like all like <laughs> swollen and bloody. <laughs> They live up to the name. This just happened the other day. This is Um, not somewhere something I would expect to discuss pertaining to Boys Town, but here we are. Yeah. Um, Oh, I thought I I had something to say about it. Now I can't remember what it. So they're in uh, some state that may or may not be Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, Father Flanagan is his name. Spencer Chase's character um, uh, uses, you know, seeks donations and builds a literal town uh, for. Uh, homeless or delinquent or whatever uh, boys um, to try and make good citizens out of them. Of course, it's a raging success um, because uh, all people need is a little love from a priest. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Spencer Tracy won an Oscar for this, I believe. Yeah, Uh, sounds right. Because I think the bit of trivia... Um, that I got that we got from the the person introducing the movie was that the real Father Flanagan was the first ever like living person to see someone win an Oscar for portraying. Yeah, uh, no. because <laughs> he was still alive, obviously at the time. Uh, yeah. So the movie's kind of like corny and 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 preachy, even if I'm like kind of on board with its with its message um, ab- about treating homeless people and homeless children with humanity god you know god forbid but there's still something we're obviously dealing with today like uh, um, a lot of people's solution to increased homelessness and especially in california cities is to just like move them out of eyesight or whatever uh yeah help them and that's um really upsetting uh but um but i would say the best thing about the movie is uh Mickey Rooney plays one of these boys who's like he's the toughest nut to crack because he's like the little brother of like an actual like gangster and so he's got this like he's I, however Mickey however old Mickey Rooney is you know I guess he's like 17 but he's probably playing younger uh but he's got like the spats and the double-breasted peak lapel like suit with the pinstripes and he's like just doing the whole like 30s gangster thing but as like a kid and it's like it's actually really charming and funny. Uh, he was he was the best part. Um, uh, and then I will also mention just as a uh, asterisk for when this comes up later because I like these coincidences. There's uh, the actor Minor Watson has one scene as a bishop, the bishop to whom Father Flanagan answers. More on him later. All right. So that was Boys Town. So, uh, we had quite the start to our Saturday. We had an exciting start. So as we mentioned, we were both roughing it in the standby line this year. So mm-hmm. we decided to roll the dice. We're like, we're going to try to see a pre-code at the Legion at 9 a.m. And now usually these kind of movies play at the at theater four and get packed and end up in the TV slots for Sunday. But we're like, hey, it's a 400 and something seat theater. 
probably it'll be busy, but can't be that busy, can it? Also 9 a.m. Also 9 a.m. So we get there, our standby number, our standby line number is like in the 30s. So they let in the first 10 and then they're like, it's full. Get out of here, you miserable wretches. And yeah. so we're standing there and we're like, what do you want to do? Do you want to wait? Do you want to try for that? We're literally just standing there trying to figure out what to do. And I was like, let's just chill for a second. I don't know how this is going to go down. You never know. So... Most of the standby line had left. The movie's about to start. And the guy comes out and he's like, so actually there's two seats open and they're in the front row. And again, there are still a bunch of people here who have numbers higher than us. And they're staring at these people like anybody want it? And they're just staring back and we're like, we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. And they're like, come on in. So we were the last two people in the theater for the motion picture, The Wiser Sex. Yeah. Which Uh, is a... Real quick, I want to point out that you're you're thinking that 9 a.m., would like deter people. You're forgetting the average TCM fest attendee like, wakes up at 4am on a it's normal. True. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, so yeah, so it's a very rare pre-code movie um, starring Claudette Colbert, Melvin Douglas and Franco tone. Um, it's actually Franco tones first movie and Melvin Douglas's third. So getting them in there pretty fresh. Um, it was introduced by Carrie Beecham, who I feel like is like low key, a superhero of TCM fest. Oh, like she got people a lover. She got a rock star. Is, welcome. This is how I know I fucked up. I didn't see a single movie that she introduced this year. What have you done, David? That's how I know I fucked up with my, yeah. with my, with my schedule. Cause yeah, she's, I'm one of those people who thinks of her as a, uh, a rock star of TCM fest and, uh, was really bummed. That well, I'm glad you didn't go see the wiser sex. Cause then we wouldn't have gotten it. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, she gave a really fun intro. She's a film scholar who knows her shit and is, uh, pretty, pretty fun. I will say that if she is the superhero of TCM fest, the villains are Will Hayes and Joseph Breen, who were the later enforcers, of the enforcers of the production code. Ooh. I'm not kidding. They yeah, get every, booed. Every they time get, they get mentioned. booed. And I'm like, what is this fucking porum? Are you serious people? <laughs> yeah. Um, so the actual movie. So it's on, it was on film, which was nice. Um, there's no other way to see it. Like it's, it's ne- I don't so, think so, so it's on VHS. Yeah. So, so, so rare. So for the first half, it's mostly the three of them kind of like milling around, looking attractive and sort of staring at setting up assorted plot machinations. But then for the second half, Claudette Colbert essentially goes undercover of her own volition in order to get evidence that her boyfriend was framed for murder. So she dyes her hair blonde, which is a very rare Claudette Colbert look. And she's playing a low-class party girl with kind of this loosely inexplicable Brooklyn-esque accent. <laughs> so what's fun is you never get to see Claudette Colbert do that. Yeah. And she's basically, she's trying to buddy up to another like party girl to like get information. So once that starts happening, I'm like, okay. Much more engaged. We got a, we got a stew going now. Um, so, you know, it's kind of lightweight, but honestly, I really just love watching people from the 1930s just like be fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> like my my threshold for that is very high. Like I could kind of just watch that forever. Um, so yeah, should you go super out of your way to see it? Probably not, but Claudette Colbert being blonde and talking like she's vaguely from Brooklyn is pretty fun. Yeah, I, I honestly don't have a lot to add because you kind of encapsulated my whole feeling towards it, which is, yeah, the first half I was like, is it just because it's this early? I've had some stuff going on outside of movie life that kind of had me distracted. But then once the movie starts to lock in, I was like into it for sure. Um, and it's short enough that like they can kind of have a loose enough plot to kind of architect it around. And it's fun to watch her get like fake drunk and try to deceive um 
kind of ne'er-do-well woman into revealing more about what's going on than she would ordinarily do. And who's the guy? Oh, it's like the lawyer that she's like trying to seduce in order to get information from. And they have kind of, it's kind of a fun rapport knowing what she's trying to do, but then like him slowly catching on because she's like only so into him. Um, so there's a lot of good, like kind of pre-code sauciness that's fun with the crowd. Yeah. And even though she's playing like this kind of fake character or whatever, it's like Claudette Colbert, we were talking about this. She always seems to play these characters that are very wealthy and nobody actually is like needing anything from her. And she voluntarily undertakes very convoluted schemes. <laughs> like that is the essential Claudette Colbert character in a lot of ways of just like starting shit. Like no one asked her to go undercover. She yeah. was just like, I must save him. I am the only one who can with this crazy plan. Um, yeah. She starts living at the hotel yeah. and pretending she's a kept woman, like in order to go undercover. So Yeah. The wiser sex. The wiser sex. All right. Well, 32, I believe. Uh, my next movie is also Scott's next movie because uh, we sat next to each other. I sure <laughs> did. So I know he saw it. Uh, and you had seen it before. I had not seen it. Play It As It Lays, based on the novel by Joan Didion, directed by Frank Perry, who is Katy Perry's uncle, or was. He passed away. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that until I looked him up. Uh, yeah, uh, this one is so up my alley. This is so my my kind of movie in many ways. Um, it's sort of like fragmented structure, um, you know, coming in little, uh, uh, not even vignettes, little little bursts that almost feel it almost feels dreamlike in a lot of ways, or sometimes sort of nightmare like. Um, uh, I mean, story wise, I don't even know what would you say. It's about a. Uh, woman who gets divorced from a film director and is it's one of those movies about depressed people with a lot of money which yeah well it's, which it's about I tend to be that's another thing i tend to love movies about uh rich depressed people i don't know why oh yeah no you me know. too well I, I always say that like um when you're rich you don't have you know there's you remove all the like day-to-day -day struggle survival stuff so you can just focus on like whatever's really going on underneath. So they tend to make good subjects for movies and especially uh, beautiful rich people tend to make good subjects for movies. Um, but yeah, Tuesday Wells plays an actress who we understand achieved some degree of fame and success before we meet her um, largely through her collaborations with the director whom uh, she married and uh, has recently divorced and who due to a series of breakdowns and miscooperations and probably also informed by uh, her divorce has not had any large high profile work in some time. Mm -hmm. um, and so she's just kind of floating around loosely still seeing the director more often seeing uh, the producer who produced a lot of that director's movies played by uh, Anthony Perkins. Um, and just it's kind of also, by the oh, way, amazing. Yeah. So great. Yeah. I think it's maybe my favorite of his roles. It's tough to say though. I, I mean, as much as like people latch on the psycho, he's his body of work is really incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, this is as well, very much my kind of movie. And somebody recently noted Frank Perry as like a great example of somebody who made one incredible movie. And then a lot of other, not so good, or a lot of the movies don't quite live up. I would disagree. Cause a lot of people point to the swimmer as like, obviously his best movie to me, players of lazy is his best movie. Mm. Um, it's much more formally daring. It's I think more directly funny, 
Um, the swimmer has some funny stuff in it, but it's all kind of under the architecture of like social satire stuff. Um, played as it lays is much more unexpected in the way it dispenses humor. A lot of that comes from Joan Didion, who also co-wrote the screenplay. Um, and I've read played as it lays. I don't have the best memory for it, but like the general sense of wit feels very, uh, in co- keeping with the writing of hers I've read. And I haven't uh, read it yet. I have, I have two copies. <laughs> People just keep throwing this book at you. No, it's it's the kind of book that I like see it at, at, a, at a used bookstore and I'm like, oh, I need to read that and then oh, buy sure. it and then forget that I did that. And then I at a used bookstore again, like two years later and be like, oh, right. I want to read that one. So now I have two copies. But it also kind of folds. Read one in each hand. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it folds the humor. Are they the same edition? No, they're not. Okay, that'd be funny. Uh, it's a kind of movie that folds its humor into ways that are also kind of biting towards the characters and are like kind of unexpectedly poignant like there's this whole scene where she's recounting how her father like won a town at a poker game or whatever and the town's called silver wells and she's recounting this big story as we see like this great big shot of this kind of empty expanse of american landscape and it's a very kind of touching and strange story and then at the end she's like this is not a picture of silver wells yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a str- such a strange choice but it's like the perfect way to end that little segment and yeah. um yeah i, I don't want to reveal kind of where the film ends up but it's an especially strange and very unexpectedly poignant conclusion to all the relationships that the film is dealing with. Um, and yeah, it's, the film was introduced by Alison Anders and um, Peter Riegert, um, who have a kind of a loose association with a uh, association called missing movies that kind of works to clear up rights issues with movies that, you know, have been called missing, but aren't like lost. They're just like, hard to release because usually with music rights, I'm not sure what has kept plays at lays from getting distributed for so long, but I hope the fact that they introduced it means that they've kind of finally started to clear this up. Um, and it will finally get a home video release because yeah, up until now you've only been able to see it on film. There's a copy floating around back channels from uh, when it showed on the Sundance channel, but that's in full frame and the movies, you know, in one eight five. Um, but yeah, I, I guess for whatever reason, thanks to that reputation, it screens a lot in Los Angeles. It screened like we saw it two years ago. No, not quite. It was like a year and a half ago at the Los Feliz. And since then, this is like the fourth or fifth screening in town. And well, it also, sells out. It's it always yeah, sells very yeah. well. It's also such an L.A. movie. Yeah. Yes. I was, I was, gonna, I was mentioning all the things that I love about it or the ways it seems like it's up my alley. I love L.A. movies. But before I get into that, I also want to mention you said music rights. It's actually I think a lot of these movies, it's more complicated than that, where they're independently produced movies. Oh, but sure. Then, but then someone bigger, like I think this movie had the plays had like a universal logo. Universal, yeah. So someone bigger, like is like, okay, I'll be the distributor for the movie for this many years, and they end up making all the all the all the prints that go out, and they and and so. But then when they're like ten or twenty year, like agree, agreement ends, suddenly it's like, well, who like these prints might be sitting there in the universal lot, but they don't have universal uh, uh, vaults, but they don't have the right to do anything with them. And, and yeah, so I think a lot of it is the, a lot of the movies they're talking about are, are independent movies where um, the, the producer and the distributor were different entities and, and, and it's unclear at a certain point who has the right to do what. And so the people who have access to the movie don't put it out because they don't think they can. 
Yeah, and a lot of Frank Perry's movies have fallen into this trap. Um, I mean, they finally cleared up Diary of a Mad Housewife, so you can get that fairly easily. But like last summer, you can't even see it in a decent print anymore because it's been so disregarded over the years, but it's an incredible movie. Um, and so, yeah, hopefully more and more of his stuff can get out there. Um, so, yeah, I, I, there's so many great L.A. reference. They just name drop constantly uh, L.A. stuff. Um, including when she like leaves her husband and he's, and he says, Oh like, yeah. He says something like you've got an empty mansion in man in Malibu. Meanwhile, you're living in a furnished apartment on fountain. What did you want to be closer to Schwab's? Yeah. <laughs> that kind of- I think you and I were the only ones laughing at that. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's so, uh, so much great. There's a whole part where she's like, she drives to Oxnard cause she just like gets on the five and starts, keeps going or something like that. It's just so many great things but it's also there's a weird thing about movies that are la movies that also have like a a vegas side trip right i was thinking of california split but that's reno isn't it yeah correctly okay but a a nevada gambling side trip because i think of like swingers which is like one of the quintessential 90s la movies the entire first like right 15 minutes of that movie are in vegas almost uh and and then and then yeah this has a has a big vegas detour um there's also um there's a part where she goes to visit her then ex-husband on the set of his next film. And there's a, a reporter, like an entertainment reporter yeah. interviewing him. Did, it was Tyne Daly. I, Who's I, who? Tyne Daly, the actress. Okay. okay. Why do I know her? <laughs> um, from, I guess maybe she's more of a, a, a TV person. She's. Um, I'm patting Scott condescendingly. What uh, you, you can speak up too. What do I know? Bread factory. Oh, okay. From what? Bread factory. Oh yeah, bread factory. Yeah, but she's. Uh, what's the what's the cop show she's like best known for? I don't. Well, I don't know if it's a cop show, but wasn't she on uh, uh, Judging Amy? Uh, yeah, she was. But I'm thinking of Cagney and Lacey. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. She's uh, okay. Well, Either I thought that Cagney was going to be or Lacey. Yeah, she was one of them. Um, I thought that was going to be because I didn't even recognize her. Um, when she was on screen, I I didn't. It was until the credits that it was like entertainment journalist Tyne Daly, and I was like, oh my god! Uh, but I thought that was gonna like blow you away. But uh, sorry, I, I, d- I just have a bad memory for actors. All right. Well. Uh. All right. What's who's up next? So I well I saw something in that same time slot, which I I have seen play this at least. It's great. Uh, hard agree with everything. We had another strange getting into a movie experience when oh we saw Play Lays. So yeah, we show up, it's like sold out, and then... I had already had an advanced ticket. You had an advanced ticket. I didn't, but then this you This was had not a, this time. This is a previous Yeah, time, Yeah. For the but list. then you had a friend who had a ticket who couldn't make it. So. And she was... It was Mariah, a friend of the show, Mariah Gates. Yeah. And she was tweeting about like the bus screwed up or something. So she couldn't make the movie and she was tweeting about that. And I was sitting in the theater being like, well, Julia's outside. Mariah's not coming to the movie. Mariah says she has a ticket. So I DM'd her and then she sent me her ticket. And we, that's how Julie it got was in. like a right at this. It was, it was starting like a mission impossible nice. swap. Um, yeah. So anyway, back to TCM fest in the same time slot, I was going to the wild and woolly fifties and I saw when worlds collide from 1953, I believe um, this was. So every year uh, Craig Barron and Ben Burt um, who are like VFX guys do like uh do a presentation. There's like some movie that they do a presentation on. And this was the first I'd ever been to one of them. I don't know if you guys had been to those in past years. I went to, um, Oh, the Kerrigan adventure movie. Yeah. 
yeah, got shut out of that. I tried. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that it was okay. It's very big, like wacky vacation slideshow from your uncle energy. (laughs) I would say, um, they did like explain how they did a bunch of the special effects in the movie, which is cool. However, I would have kind of preferred to see that after I saw the movie. Yeah. Cause it's like, it takes away, like, I know it's not real, but it does take away a little bit. It's like, mm. tell me later. Um, probably my favorite part of the re- the presentation was, I don't know if this was honestly like an off the cuff comment, but Ben Burt has this, this rapid rundown of like each uh, studio, like in the studio era, he's like each studio had like a house sound kind of like he, mm. and he was like, I don't remember all of the ones he said, but he said something like the Warner brothers house sound was crisp. Columbia was hollow and Paramount had the best crashes and explosions. (laughs) And just like, he just was like running that down really quickly. He just rattled them all off like very confidently, which I thought was interesting. Um, So this was a Paramount movie. And so he, they explained how when they made this in the fifties, they were capable of creating sound effects of like really low vibrating rumbles, but not really capable of like playing them back in a theater. So they, Hmm fixed it so they were this was a restoration and they built i'm not kidding a giant mountain in the legion of 14 subwoofers so after they said that i looked to the side and realized that i was seated a mere i don't know eight feet (laughs) from this wall of 14 (laughs) subwoofers and they said so specifically there's like an earthquake sequence in this movie that's the big thing where like the world is basically falling apart. So they were, and Ben Burt was like rubbing his hands with glee. He's like, we're going to do it. So the sound was wild. You guys, like I have never had a sound and a sonic experience of that nature. Um, my organs were vibrating until I felt ill, but honestly it was cool. Like I'm not complaining. It was very cool. Um, so it's kind of, dark for a sci-fi movie of the era because pretty early on it's just established that the world is going to be destroyed by a rogue star and there's nothing to be done about it like it's not like oh how can we avert the star how it's just like oh no this is happening um so the drama of the movie is that they're building like a noah's ark type of spaceship to save 40 people like that's the best they can do right so um and yeah that's what happens it isn't like oh we were wrong that like the human race is wiped out, which is like treated very matter of factly. Um, but what's interesting is it, so it's obviously, yeah, has these cool like special effects with miniatures and matte paintings and everything. And it has the giant wall of subwoofers vibrating my organs while the world is destroyed. But it also has like, you know, a lot of times in these like 50 sci-fi movies, the draw, the human element can fall a little flat. Like they hire these actors you've never heard of and they're kind of wooden and it's not terribly compelling, but it actually was pretty good in this because it becomes sort of a melodrama about like, who's going to get on the ship. So they have a crew of 600 people working to build this rocket about half of which are women. So shout out to that. And they don't decide till the like two hours before they leave. And it's random, but there's like, there's a love triangle and there's like a guy who wants to marry the lead scientist's daughter, but like he realizes that she's in love with another guy. So he like comes up with a way to get him on the ship. And it's like, it's very like elemental human stuff. And then there's like an asshole rich guy who gets to be on the rocket because he's financing it. And we're like, is this ethical? Um, 
So yeah, I had a good time. I felt vaguely ill, but um, yeah, it was like just cool sci-fi shit, but also like the human element came through. So I would recommend it. Right on. Yeah. Um, all right. I will uh, probably pretty quickly talk about my next movie. Uh, well, it, this Saturday was April 15th. April 15th every year in the in Major League Baseball is Jackie Robinson Day. Um, the day they commemorate the first, that was the first day that he uh, played in the major leagues and everyone on every team wears the number 42. Uh, and I guess in celebration of Jackie Robinson Day, they, uh, the TCM Fest screened on film the Jackie, Robin, the Jackie Robinson story from 1950 uh, with Jackie Robinson's granddaughter, uh, a little interview with her beforehand. Um, and so, yeah, that uh, sort of historical element is why you see something like the Jackie Robinson story, which is not a very good movie. Okay. Uh, it's well, it's notable because Jackie Robinson plays himself uh, oh, okay. in the movie and is not, not great. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, I, well, it's also, I guess my, I guess my, when I'm, when I, when I think of Jackie Robinson, I think of Chadwick Boseman, oh, uh, sure. who was like in shape. But uh, what I wasn't prepared for is that the real Jackie Robinson was like, He's a pro athlete. He's fucking huge. <laughs> a mass, he's this massive man uh, in in every scene that like is. Uh, but he's got this. Um, he's got a surprisingly sort of like even tempered nature and 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 quiet. He's sort of soft spoken. Um, so it's very interesting as an historical document. Um, and uh, now, also, but it has um, some star uh, wattage. Ruby D plays his wife. Um, and then the aforementioned Minor Watson, who played a bishop in Boys Town, plays Branch Rickey, the role that Harrison Ford played in in 42. He's essentially the third or maybe even second lead. He might have more screen time than Ruby D. Um, so that's why I mentioned him earlier, just so he could come up again here. Anyway, that was the next movie I saw. Not that much to say about it. All right. My next movie was really the highlight of the festival, not because the movie was any surprise. I had seen Bye Bye Birdie several times before. Uh, it's a very dear favorite of mine, um, but largely because I hadn't seen it theatrically. So that was a joy, which I'll get to in a moment, largely because Anne Margaret, the star of the film was there. Um, and who even at, she's like 80 or 81. She's like, I still got as much energy as I did then. She's like doing these little kicks and like swing her arms around. <laughs> Is she Sally O'Malley? <laughs> kind of. Yeah. I was getting very strong Sally O'Malley vibes. Um, and she was like, and a kick. Yeah. And, I just, <laughs> and she was promoting a rock and roll album that she just recorded and which has since been released. I haven't listened to it yet, but like nice. the fact that she recorded a rock and roll album at, in, at 80 or whatever is pretty freaking cool. Um, the, the Q and a was largely pretty boilerplate. Dave Carter did the interview, which I'm very glad for because he's like the big musical guy for TCM. Um, but like any question he asked her, she was just like, it was a ball. They were great kind of thing. But like, because she's like an 80 year old and she's Anne Margaret and she's like full of energy was like kind of delightful too. Usually those kind of answers are just like, eh, fine. But usually they're not delivered with as much gusto as Anne Margaret still has. Um, and then apparently it was going to be her birthday in a couple of weeks. And so they brought out a cake um, that had all these little like miniature legs kicking up from it. Uh, and she blew out the candles and we all sang happy birthday to Anne Margaret. Um, so that was a very joyful way to start uh, the screening for a very joyful movie. Uh, Real quick before you talk about the movie, that reminds me, this was not a TCM, this was a, a, a screening um, that I went to 
I can't remember what it was a part of, but I went to a screening of uh, There's No Business Like Show Business. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stephen Farber was interviewing Mitzi Gaynor beforehand. Okay. Um, and she was also uh, a lot of fun. My, fav- my favorite thing that I remember that she said, she talked about how Marilyn Monroe was always late and everyone was mad at her. And she did her impression of Ethel Merman going, <laughs> where the fuck's the blonde? <laughs> <laughs> Um, sorry, sorry. S- similar behind the scenes drama actually for Bye Bye Birdie, which uh, sort of like uh, in terms of credits, more directly stars Janet Lee and because Anne Margaret was like very new on the scene. This was like her second movie or something like that. They did expand the role for her. Right. And so yeah. that's the thing is that like um, they not only expanded the role or, or sorry, which role do you mean? They expanded Anne Margaret's role. Yeah. Yeah. They not only expanded her role, but Janet Lee started to notice that Anne Margaret was getting way more close-ups than she was. And I do kind of feel bad because Janet Lee is also really good in the movie, but it's pretty clear where everyone's attention is understandably drawn because Anne Margaret was not only the hot young new thing, but much more of the moment of the early sixties than Janet Lee was. Janet Lee is playing something more akin to what we've were, we'd be familiar with from the fifties or sixties. The kind of architecture of the story is that Dick Van Dyke is a frustrated scientist turned songwriter because his mom was in vaudeville and she pushed him towards being a songwriter. Um, but he's not making very good money being a songwriter. Fortunately, his secretary uh, has some connection with the Ed Sullivan show and convinced them to spotlight a kind of uh, Elvis Presley-esque star named Conrad Birdie um, and have him sing a song before he goes off into the army. The problem is Dick Van Dyke hasn't written this song yet but she sold them on this much. And so if you can get the song out there, everyone will end up happy and she'll finally be able to marry him, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's a fun start to the uh, plot. And then it, it's complicated by the fact that um, Janet Lee also decides that it would be great if Conrad Birdie could deliver one last kiss. Cause that's the name of the song to me, one last kiss and deliver that kiss to one of his adoring, many adoring fans. And she picks the name out at random. Wouldn't you know it? It's Anna Margaret. So the, film's based on a stage musical and that really comes to bear when everyone I just mentioned starts to live with Anne Margaret's family for no reason other than in a stage musical, you would have to sit everyone in the same location. Um, but for the movie makes a good deal less sense. Uh, Paul Lind plays Anne Margaret's father who, and is relentlessly hilarious. Um, and the musical numbers are really stellar, really hold up there. The sequences are filmed magnificently. And Anna Margaret's just an insane dancer. She was cast in the movie because the director, George Sidney saw her at a dance club and was like, you should be in pictures. Um, and rightly so. Um, she was immediately paired, paired with the actual Elvis Presley the next year for uh, Viva Las Vegas. And I think of, I haven't seen a ton of her movies, but of the movies I have seen, Elvis is the only one who can kind of keep pace with the Anne Margaret energy. Um, so she ends up running rings around everyone else in the movie, but that works out because she has more than 12 rings to run. Basically she can like keep pace and fill in the gaps for anyone else. Like I said, everyone else is really good in the movie, Dick Van Dyke, especially and um, Janet Lee and Paul Lynn, but Anne Margaret is definitely stealing the show. And it, as much as I tend to shy away from seeing the DCP stuff, I tend to, gravitate towards Prince. It was a blast to see this on a screen as big as the TCL Chinese theater and see those giant musical numbers really splayed across the screen. Um, so this was a huge pick me up in the middle of the festival and really my highlight of it. Uh, Julie, are you next? What do you got? 
Yeah, I assuming we're kind of doing like a four to five p.m. window mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Um, I I with one exception, I spent almost my whole festival at the Legion. Um, which food issues aside, no real complaints. It's a great theater. Um, but I saw Crossing Delancey, which had a this. I think this is the only Q and A I saw, but it was a Q and A with the stars, which is Amy yeah. Irving and Peter Regert. Um, Eddie Muller moderated the Q and a, and again, like made a joke about how unexpected it was that he would be there, but he's like, you guys, I love this movie, like whatever. Um, so the Anyone Q&A, who's seen that movie loves it, right? Yeah. Like it's so delightful. The Q and a was delightful. The two of them are like clearly still friends. They have a great affection for each other. They know how to work a crowd. Um, they spoke very highly of director of the director, Joan McLean Silver, who recently passed and how much she loved actors and could really direct really well. Riegert mentioned a scene where Joan McLean Silver wanted him to like turn it up a notch, give a little more, but she didn't give him any direction. What she did instead is had Amy Irving stand off camera and flash him. So she's like in the ultimate um, you see in the shot, it's like his eyebrow goes up a little bit or something. And it's like, she's like, I knew this was going to be better than just telling him what to do. And it's like much more organic. Um, She was reticent to cast um, Amy Irving because she thought Amy Irving was maybe like a little too like fancy, a little too like not down to earth enough, but she happened to see Irving just like by chance absolutely going to town on a tub of pop corn <laughs> and was like, that's my girl. <laughs> and then like immediately made an offer. Um, what else? There was concern at the time about the movie being, and I quote too ethnic because um, all the characters are Jewish. Um, they did point out there's some hypocrisy here because Moonstruck had just been a huge hit, but luckily there was an executive at Warner's who really championed it and it made back five times the budget. So um, good Good for us, I guess. We all win. Um, Eddie Muller also asked Peter Riegert if he was like constantly getting laid after this came out because he plays an extremely charming character. And Riegert was very quick to be like, I had a girlfriend at the time. However, (laughs) if I had wanted to, I could have stepped my way across the country. (laughs) So just like imagine that for 30 minutes, just that kind of like stuff. It was just so delightful. I think I've said uh, maybe on the podcast before that Peter Riegert and Crossing Delancey and Bob Hoskins and Mermaids are like two of the like most unlikely like rom-com like sex symbols of of that time. They're just both so goddamn charming in both those movies. So charming. So charming. So yeah, the movie is like kind of the standard architecture and bones of like a rom-com, except that the, um, the main character, she's she's like kind of Jewish. She's like uh, culturally Jewish. Her grandmother is very more, much more conservatively Jewish and starts meddling in her, in her affairs, is very troubled by the fact that she is unmarried. So is trying to set her up through a matchmaker. And that's how um, Peter Riegert, the pickle vendor, comes into her life. There's another man. There's a love triangle. There's mismatches. There's mayhem. It's, you know, Eddie Muller is talking about the fact that it's like, it's very modern, but also kind of old fashioned. And it's like sweet without being saccharine. It really does have like the bones of a movie from like the thirties or forties. But with a very eighties, New York sensibility, like it's very like, I hate to be that person. Like 
New York as a character. Like, I'm not going to go that far, but it's like, it's very, very New York. Um, so the main character is Bubby. Her grandmother was played by a Yiddish stage actress who had actually never been in a movie before and never was in a movie again, because honestly, this is like a mic drop. She is fantastic. She is so funny. She reminds me of my grandmother, like completely. Um, Rigert said, after he saw her do her first scene, he was like, she's going to steal the show and anything that is not nailed down. Like I have to watch myself around her because she is so amazing. Um, Sylvia miles is also in here. She plays the matchmaker. She's great. She's just like eating giant chicken wings and like talking with her mouth full. She's so great. Um, it had, there was an amazing 35 millimeter print. Like this is just a delight. I say like, just bundle up on your couch, just get a giant yeah. tub of popcorn in honor of Amy Irving <laughs> and just like, yeah. it's so delightful. It sounds like um, you guys have both seen it. And yeah, yeah, I, actually, it, yeah I did. I was very charmed by it. I have also seen it on, on 35 millimeter uh, film back in 2019 when between the lines was restored the Billy Wilder theater did a double feature between the lines oh, yeah. and, uh, and, and this, um, and, oh yeah, the aforementioned front of the show, Mariah was, was there. Uh, I, I want to mention that the other, that you mentioned there's another sort of potential love interest guy is played by Yaron Krabe, who is probably best known at least by me and maybe people of our, of our age is Dr. Charles Nichols from the fugitive, the, uh, uh, Kimball's friend who turns out to mm. not be a friend, um, and I just wonder if this guy has, I wonder if he's ever played like a nice person in, in an American <laughs> movie. Like, he just seems to like, he's got that, like, maybe like Maz Mickelson thing where like, it's that vague European accent. Yeah. Sinister, but, I, but I just but love sexy. that. Like in Denmark, Maz Mickelson is like George Clooney, but here yeah. he's constantly playing like, you know, Hannibal Lecter and shit yeah. like that. Uh, I feel like you're on crab and maybe falls a little bit in the same, uh, vein all right well i um i don't know if you stuck around the legion but i was at the legion for the film following this uh auto premingers carmen jones um which i went to because uh i like auto preminger i obviously didn't know that harry balafonte was going to be uh passing away uh just over a week after i i saw this i guess that was kind of how could you yeah um but uh i also because this was, this was at the Legion, I think I had assumed it was going to be on film, but it wasn't. This was a DCP. Um, Got to read that, I guess, that fine print. Was it? Got to read that fine print. But the real reason to go to this is it was the um, the second year in a row that I've attended the screening that is part of the Robert Osborne Award presentation ceremony. So last year, Leonard Moulton got it, and we watched uh, Counselor at Law. This year, Donald Bogle um, got it. Um, who's a film author. He would wrote the biography of Dorothy Dandridge. He wrote, um, he wrote a movie, an interpretive history of blacks and films that has an, another name that has a bunch of slurs in it that I'm not going to say. Um, but, uh, so they presented him with the award Lou Gossett jr. Um, uh, uh, sort of introduced him. And, uh, so that was great. Like it was, it was, uh, really fun to hear him, talk and to see the award i love this award that they do i love that the that they get to um the the person who gets it also gets to like you know program a film um and and he picked he picked carmen jones because he's dorothy dandridge's biographer and to hear tcm tell it like by the 90s dorothy dandridge was maybe like kind of forgotten 
uh, and and it was like his biography that came out in ninety seven that kind of like uh, reignited interest in 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 her career. Uh, I don't know. I wasn't like really paying attention at at, at that time in the nineties to <laughs> who was we're paying that... attention to celebrity biographies. <laughs> no, but I did see the Dorothy Dandridge like TV movie. Um, the what's it called? Introducing Dorothy Dandridge. Is that what that's that's called? You guys don't know anything about TV. No, but with Halle Berry, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, saw, I know yeah, some things. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, anyway, so uh, yeah, so that's all the lead up to the film. The film itself um, has a lot going for it. Um, I mean, I mean, I, I, I do think some of the like mapping Carmen the opera onto like a nineteen forties uh, or post. What years? Carmen Jones is fifty four. So does it take place in 54? I can't remember. That's uh, all I remember, but I couldn't say. Um, but, uh, you know, mapping that onto it, it's a little like a bit of a stretch at times, but I think Otto Preminger sort of corrects for that by like steering into like the operaticness of it. Everything feels very big and heightened and colorful and the performances are big. And the 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 songs, the um, it's a musical, uh, have you guys seen Carmen Jones? I forget. Yeah, yeah a okay. long time ago. Long okay. time ago. So the songs, I didn't know this part going in. I didn't realize that the, the music is the music from the opera yeah. with new lyrics. I didn't realize that. So that was very fun to hear like tunes that I'm familiar with, uh, with, with words that I, that I didn't know. Um, and can understand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, this feels like a movie that I am glad that I saw in this circumstance with a crowd and with donald bogle introducing it uh beforehand it's not anywhere near my favorite preminger but um uh i'm really glad that i had just seen a harry belafonte movie though um that worked out well all right so that's carmen jones i've got Uh, one more what do you guys have well the last movie we watched for saturday we watched at home was the midnight movie um so i don't know wait was was this on sunday that was on sunday um so i don't know where you want us us to slot in a midnight movie that we didn't actually watch at midnight just go ahead and talk about it all right we dove head first into the legendary the unforgettable xanadu Xanadu. so Uh, yeah it i um, have never seen that but i love that song xanadu movie's pretty great so It, it showed at midnight, but we're old and we watched it at home. So like this movie is not designed to be watched at home sober in the middle of the afternoon. Yeah. Like that is not what it's for. However, it is still exceedingly fun. Um, I would describe this movie as being like a Stefan club. Like this movie has everything. <laughs> Roller skating, Gene Kelly, electric light orchestra, Greek mythology, a purgatory that looks like Tron, zoot suits, animation, a makeover montage, and a guy playing a woman like a guitar. <laughs> so I can definitely understand like watching this movie and like thinking, who is this for? Like it's a very strange hybrid of like Greek mythology, roller skating, and 1940s entertainment. And because it's a loose remake of a Rita Hayworth movie called Down to Earth from night from the 1940s. And the answer is me. I, me. This movie is for me. If it is not for you, I can't help you because it is for me. Um, So one of the interesting facts about this movie, it was one of the two movies, and sadly I cannot recall the other one, that inspired the creation of the Razzies. Um, So like 
someone was so mad at this movie that they made the Razzies. But like, I'm sorry, if you have angered people that much on purely aesthetic and narrative grounds, no, you're doing something right. Because it's not like offensive or like there's nothing like dodge. It's like purely just that it's insane. And that made people so mad they made the Razzies. (laughs) And I'm like, no, that actually just rules. Um, So, yeah, it's what even... So, yeah, it's a loose remake of a movie about one of the Greek muses becoming like a real woman coming to Earth to inspire a guy to open a nightclub. And then they fall in love. Yeah. But with more disco roller skating and Gene Kelly reminiscing about being in the 40s, because here's what's really weird. Gene Kelly plays the same character he plays in a completely unrelated other movie from the 1940s called Cover Girl. Where he was like a nightclub owner. It's the same character name. It's the also same a Rita Hayworth movie, actually. Also a Rita Hayworth. It's so insane. And so, then the music is by Electric Light Orchestra. Weirdly, none of this music was composed specifically for this movie. It was just songs they just kind of had. Except, I think, except the title song, because it is called Xanadu. Um So the star trio is the aforementioned Gene Kelly. It's Olivia Newton-John and Michael Beck, who unfortunately is kind of a charisma vacuum next to the other two. Well, sure. Um, Apparently, John Travolta was approached at one point, and that really could have been something. Andy Gibb also was approached. Oh, wow. Um, He has one of the, I would say, stranger motivations of any central character, because so Michael, he plays like an artist who... Um, a painter, a painter who's like too good for the corporate world. His corporate gig is painting. So I, I don't know how familiar your listeners are with this stretch of time. Like before they could do like blow ups of album covers to put on record store displays. Someone would actually like paint a big, like essentially mural of the album cover to put on display. Um, mm-hmm. he, but he can't hold on that job because he keeps like, he's too good. He's, a painter. He's too good. A painter. And he keeps like changing the album cover and like, Responding to his inspiration, he's like, "This is just how I see it, man." (laughs) Which is just like the strangest stance for an artist to take. Um, But he's too efficient, so he keeps getting hired back. Um, And then one day, he uh, paints a woman from the album cover, but no one can tell him where this woman came from. She just suddenly appeared on this album cover, and he goes about hunting down this woman and keeps seeing her in places. And turns out she's seeing her roller skating. Seeing her roller skating, of course. Um, Turns out she's uh, a muse sent to inspire him to open a nightclub. Yep. Just your classic, classic plot. But there, the scene where because there's nine Greek muses and there's a scene, there's a mural of them and they all come to life and, you know, they're coming to life because they're outlined in neon and they're all dancing. And it's the song is by ELO. But I'm like, this is what I want. This is what I crave. This is what I need. Um, it's so weird. But it's like if I I wish I could have seen this with a midnight crowd, it's yeah. probably amazing. But like. There's like a makeover montage of Gene Kelly, like where it's so it's but it's like it's just relentless. And like Olivia Newton-John is great. She is like so charismatic and she does a a duet with Gene Kelly where they sing and dance and pretend it's the 40s. That's another weird thing is like the bridge between the 40s and the 80s for some reason. Well, there's. I think there's an implication that she also visited Gene Kelly in the 40s because you see her in old photographs and was an inspiration to him. If if you're lost, I don't blame you. It's very weird. (laughs) Um, So uh, they actually made a stage musical adaptation of this in the early 2000s. And Douglas Carter Bean, who wrote that, was quoted as saying, this is what happens when you let straight men near a musical. I blame cocaine. (laughs) 
You can see the cocaine up on the screen. Um, apparently they were writing it as they were shooting it. It like maybe made energy. sense at one point and does not, but like, oh man, they are just, they're going for something. Yeah. And it's like the end. Oh my God. The end sequence. It's like Olivia Newton, John, like tr- there's like five different musical genres. And suddenly she's like roller discoing in a cowboy outfit. And suddenly she's like roller discoing in like a metal outfit. It's just like, if this sounds good, it is like if this sounds like you would like it, you would like it. Pretty you know much, what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we had a grand time. Sure did. Even just watching it sober at home in the middle of the afternoon. So. All right. We're converted. Um, Michael Beck, by the way, still alive. He's a born again Christian. And oh. He seems to have found a uh, late calling in life. Uh, reading, uh, doing books like audio books of John Grisham novels. Very he's, strange. He's a, he seems to be the go-to guy for the last like five years or so huh. for, to do audiobooks of John Christian novels. <laughs> That's what's going on with Michael Beck. All right. Uh, all right. My last movie and the first I meant, I said I would mention when I got to five star and letterboxd movies, the first of my two five star and letterboxd movies is Wallace Worsley's 1923, the hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, this I, I, Try to do at least one silent every year at TCM. I didn't last year, and I was feeling bad about that. Um, and being incredibly tired as I was in this five movie day when it was, you know, getting to what nine forty five or whatever, and I was about to go sit down for a full two hour silent movie. I was like questioning my choice, but uh, not needed. I mean, as soon as the movie was over, I was like, "Oh right, I'm dead tired again." But the movie itself is uh such a spectacle and so lively and so full of incident that uh i it kept my attention the entire time and actually kind of flew by um so much is going on uh lon cheney plays the hunchback of notre dame and he's in full uh you know makeup that lon cheney always did his own makeup uh himself and and uh the movie was introduced by doug jones friend of the show doug jones uh who's sort of like could be seen as a you know, spiritual successor to the legacy of Lon Chaney as a, a... They're like, hey, you play people who look fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the the makeup he did is, is pretty uh, impressive, especially... Uh, I'm glad that Doug Jones and, and Leonard Malton, uh, who talked beforehand, uh, pointed this out, because there's a part when he's... Um, the Hunchback is being, like, stripped and shamed in the town square or whatever, and, like, Lon Chaney had to do like full body makeup and it looks, it looks fantastic. It looks so fantastic. But I think if it hadn't been pointed out to me beforehand, I just would have like accepted it and been like, yeah, of course that's what the hunchback looks like without his robes on or whatever. Um, but there's, um, I've never read the novel. Uh, this, uh, my guess is that this is a pretty, um, not, I don't know what it cuts out, but it's a pretty faithful adaptation of the novel. I'm surprised that there's like a whole lot of the movie that the hunchback isn't in. Uh, he's gone for like a huge portion of the middle of the movie. And it's just about like the, the, the other uh, characters and the, like, you know, there's the, um, there's some, a lot of like sort of class uh, um, warfare, I, I, I guess uh, with the, the, I guess they're like Roma. I'm not sure who, who live in the streets and, and uh, are out to like, uh fuck up anybody who um uh anyone from the 
richer side of town who happens to walk near their square and anyway um uh yeah i i, I don't have much more to say i um but i just really found it uh i don't know why i i i hate having the um i like silent movies but there is a part of me that's still like okay i have to like prepare myself to watch mm. a silent movie yeah. but often i'm wrong and they're like yeah still super fun um i do find it much easier to watch them in a theater um yeah, yeah. part of that is you get the live accompaniment you, was there accompaniment for there this there was not live accompaniment yeah. no um usually you get that um but there's just something about the crowd energy that keeps you more engaged i, I find it a lot harder watching at home I will say also, like sometimes with festival stuff, it's like the cream rises to the top. Like well, sure. they're they're showing the good shit here, you yeah. know. Yeah. But even like Cinefamily, I think once for a while they're doing once a week. I think at some point it settled in once a month and did the silent shows, and it'd be like the most routine stuff. But it was fun to just watch it with a crowd. Usually it was like eighty minutes long, and yeah. you get uh, Clifford yeah. Talik up there on the piano when he's not uh, doing uh, burlesque shows. <laughs> Um, playing I piano saw, for Belisha, yeah, yeah. presumably, presumably not yeah. like stripping yeah. but <laughs> I, I saw, actually his but, wife's i think the main burlesque performer oh okay yeah, it's quite the, quite the routine um i just say this to uh remind people how long i've lived in los angeles that i saw metropolis at the silent movie theater with live accompaniment before cine family even existed mm. yeah well they, look at you uh, yeah no i, I yeah, wanted to make it out have, like i mentioned earlier seeing Back in 2016, seeing Joan of Arc, Joan of Arc, The Passion of Joan of Arc, um, that had live, live accompaniment. But um, yeah, this one, this one didn't. Yeah, I, I wanted to make it out for this, but I was like, mom's tired. Can't <laughs> yeah, do it. it was, but it was worth it. It was yeah. really great. Um, yeah. All right. Well, then we're done with Saturday. We're on to Sunday. I only saw three movies on Sunday. I always keep Sunday a short day because... Um, I miss my wife. You guys like get to go to the festival together. I spend like yeah. the whole weekend like away from my wife, and then we like we're like okay, we're gonna get together Sunday evening. We actually went to trivia. You and I, the four of us usually play together, but Natalie and I went and did trivia ourselves. Came in third, tied for second, but then mm. blew the tiebreaker. If we, we would have been there, could have cinched it. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, so how many? What did you guys watch on on Sunday? I've got like I said, I've got three. Well, we did one at home and then one really at the fest. Yeah. Uh, and one of the, you should go in your order because you saw um, one of the ones we watched at home. It was one we couldn't have gotten into because it was in the four. Oh, um, oh, right. Okay. That's the last one I did. Okay. So you go ahead. Okay. Um, well, then I'm going to start with, I mentioned uh, filling in a blind spot. I watched, uh, I, I saw Ernst Lubitsch's Heaven Can Wait. So um, great. Yeah, it, it 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 really is. I, I didn't know the um, I didn't know the the gambit of the movie, which is that uh, it's a guy who has died and, as an old man, is making his case to an emissary of hell that hell is where he belongs um, and telling his story. Um, I'm trying to remember who plays uh, Laird, Laird Krieger plays. His Excellency. I don't know if that's supposed to be Satan or some sort of emissary of Satan, uh, but he's great. Um, uh, but Don Amici is is the is the lead of um, uh, um, yeah. So we just basically go through his entire life, mostly his um, love life and his 
relationship with uh, Jean Tierney, not playing herself. She's playing a, a <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to think what I, what I wrote down uh, uh, about it. Uh, so it's a, it's a color film. I don't know if it's a technicolor film, but it's a very uh, colorful color film. Uh, the, it is technicolor. The, I've got it, it up is. right now. It's okay, the good yeah. shit. The um, the costumes are amazing. The production design is amazing, and it's all it's, used. It's so. sort of a period piece because I think it's like he dies in the movies from 1943. I think, and yeah. like that's when he dies. So it's like yeah, going but, way far back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah century and, times. Yeah. Yeah, so it, but it, it like jumps ahead. It kind of reminded me of that whole opening, like ten minutes of the Magnificent Ambersons. Totally. That, like, yeah, like tracks like the development of a family's life through like men's changes in men's fashion. Yeah, I thought about that a lot while I was watching uh, Heaven Can Wait. But the um, it's a great use of this opulence of the color and the set design because it's not just like beautiful to look at, which it is. It's also about the trappings of uh luxury in this very privileged you know uh uh man um i'm not sure what else to say except that i especially as he got older you know with old, old age makeup and i tweeted this out like don amici looks like brad pitt in babylon like as oh sure praying like, <laughs> a little bit and like it's sort of around the same like 30s like costuming you know and he's got like the same hair, hair haircut it's like i kept thinking like wow he looks like uh I've, i can't the jack conrad right that's the character's name yeah that sounds right yeah yeah uh i don't know you guys have have seen it do you have did I, what, what did i what did i miss um I, sunday, I, I, I wish i had seen this earlier in the week because by sunday i was like already pretty wiped yeah totally i mean it's been a few i've seen it a couple times but it's been a few years since i last saw it um the biggest thing I think about, I think with it is it was the second to last film that Lubitsch completed. There's a third one that he started directing when he had a heart attack and died and was credited as a co-director, but I, I haven't seen it. I'm not sure how much I can put it at his feet. Uh, his last completed film was Clooney Brown, which I need to revisit, but which I don't hold it in as high of esteem as many other like Lubitsch heads. Um, to me, this is his last really great film. And it kind of between this and Shop Around the Corner, which is a couple years before, kind of points to like a certain maturity in his work that I'm not saying like his earlier films suffered for lack of. I think one of their great strengths is often their immaturity. But um, so much of his best stuff in those early years seemed to be like him just like having a ball, which is like where they get some of the energy from and stuff like I think there's a lot of maturity in trouble in paradise. That's like in this baked into the subtext that people don't talk about as much as they should, but something like heaven can wait is a little bit more sentimental. It's a little bit more like him moving into the kind of old man film territory, which I know a lot of people sometimes lament looking at you, Quentin Tarantino, but um, <laughs> which I find very touching as director's age and which I would have liked to see him develop more, but he died. I mean, he died fairly, he was only 55 and died of a heart attack. So if he had maintained his health and been able to uh, continue directing, I just have to imagine he had many more films like this in him. Um, but as it is, I mean, it's such a lovely film and um, so touching. And I think has a certain earned sentimentality because it still has really sharp um, dialogue and kind of cutting barbs. The screenplays by Sam, Sam, 
Simpson Raffleson. That sounds right. Um, who wrote a lot of Lubitsch's best films. And this really feels like the culmination of their collaboration. Um, so yeah, it's a lovely film. It's on Criterion Blu-ray. So it's readily accessible for anyone who wants to see it in good quality. Yeah. I'm also a fan. I think like, it's interesting when people complain about movies being sentimental. Cause I'm like, I don't think that's your actual complaint. I think your actual complaint is that it's the sentimentality is done poorly. Sure. It, it's there's so many complaints people have about art where it's like, is that your complaint or it's just that they botched the execution because it's like mm. people are not out here. Com- well, maybe they are, but like complaining that like, it's a wonderful life is like too sentimental. Right. It's like, no, it's just good at it. And I feel like this is one where it's just like, no, it just sticks the landing. It's sentimental, but it, but successfully. So it's like, yeah, yeah it works. Yeah. It plays. Uh, uh, well, it also, I mean, it's sentimental in general, but it also has right at the beginning when he first gets to hell, there's like another woman like comes in who's trying to argue that she's not supposed to go to hell and the, the devil or whatever is he's supposed to be just like hits a button and a trap door yeah. opens and she like <laughs> falls to her like eternal damnation. That's not that sentimental. And it's, it's no. uh, very funny. Maybe that's part of how it earns its sentimentality is uh, little bits like that. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. Uh, all right. What's next? Uh, probably you or well, probably all of us uh, for Mr. Cohen takes a walk. No, no, I have one more in between then. Oh, really? This, this one, I guess was, all, would also in retrospect counts as filling in a blind spot because I okay. can't believe I hadn't seen this movie. Cause I, now I love it so much. It's my other five star movie from the festival and that's Arthur Hiller's the in-laws. Oh yeah. Uh, this movie is so fucking hilarious. Yeah. And I knew so little about it. I mean, I'd heard about it all my life. I knew Serpentine. That's like the one thing that I, sure. that I, that I knew. I didn't really know what the, the plot was. Um, but Alan Arkin and, and Peter Falk are just such perfect comic foils for one another. Um, and because, you know, Alan Arkin is playing the sort of buttoned up uh, dentist and Peter Falk is playing a, I don't know, uh, what would you call him? I mean, I, I he's a government agent, but he's also something of a cad, a, a, sure. a fly. Uh, <laughs> Ne'er-do-well. <laughs> Ne'er-do-well. Uh, is he a bon vivant, maybe? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, so Alan Arkin gets sort of roped into this like espionage thing. It's like a crime espionage 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 movie, but with uh, 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 a bunch of incredibly funny uh, uh, set pieces um, that uh, keep getting um, more and more heightened as as they like leave the country and 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 get involved in. Uh, violence and uh also i love you know the um the tcm film festival audience loves to applaud random actors you know sure and like, <laughs> they sure I'm, do i'm i like classic films but i'm not as steeped as many of these people so when i'm watching movies from like the 40s and 30s and someone shows up and people clap i'm like ah, i guess they like that guy i don't know yeah. <laughs> this is a more recent movie so i knew like when james hong shows up big applause and i sure. was like well deserved Good for James Hong. Um, uh, yeah, but um, there's... So, yeah, what I'll say about it... First off, it's, it's written by um, one of the uh, guys who wrote Blazing Saddles with Mel Brooks. Um, hmm. uh, and it definitely has that sort of, like, madcap uh, uh, energy to it and that, and that feeling of, like, every scene, the the... the 
every scene exists for jokes and laughs to be mined out of it. Like th- this is a this is a go for broke comedy that that that's like yes, it has a storyline about an upcoming wedding and and it has well developed characters and well acted characters, but it's a comedy first and foremost. Everything is geared towards being uh, funny. I mentioned that I had heard of the, I I knew what the serpentine scene generally was ge- in general was. It still managed to make me laugh harder than i expected to uh, <laughs> sure for instance so yeah they're like being shot at by snipers and so peter falk says you have to run serpent like to evade them you have to like run in a serpentine you can't run in a straight line they'll be able to track you or whatever uh and they have to try to get in the car but the key the car keys are in the pocket of a dead guy over there and so alan arkin goes to the dead guy and does the serpentine thing and he grabs the keys uh, well, first he asked the dead guy, you're dead, right? Which made me laugh. Um, <laughs> he grabs the keys and then starts running back to the car in a straight line. And Peter Falk is like, Serpentine. And Alan Arkin, almost at the car by this point, <laughs> turns around, <laughs> runs back to the dead body, and then redoes the run <laughs> in the Serpentine. Oh, my God. I, I couldn't stop laughing. I, I lost it. Yeah, this is a, a great. It reminded me of the year that the theme i feel like the themes for every year keep getting more and more like nebulous yeah yeah um, what was it this uh, year what was it this year movies <laughs> no what was it cinema was it just the wb 100 thing that was no, like one was of them that about, was broader like, than that it was something there were there was something about like like carmen jones being like Stories that have been told over and over. Yeah. Looking at the homepage of the app, it says, this year we celebrate film legacies, stories told and retold over generations that have shaped our identities, shared culture, and values. Yeah. So vague. So, so, so vague. Yeah. Uh, but the, there was the one year, probably, I'm going to say like 2017 or 18, where it was comedy. Right. Um, and I saw so many great comedies that year and seeing the in-laws that reminded me of that, that feeling of just laughing all weekend. That was, it's, it's such a funny movie. I can't wait to watch the in-laws again. Uh, all right. So now we're moving on to my final film of the festival. Uh, William Bodine's Mr. Cohen takes a walk. He uh, sure does. <laughs> yeah. This, yeah, that's what happens in the movie. Um, and this one, yeah, was on 35 millimeter. It was in cinema four, which is the, uh small one that uh yeah which is why we watched it at home but for those of you listening it is on the tcm app until may 10th that's how we watched it so uh yeah so um i don't know i I just talked a lot and you guys saw it but this is uh, a sort of a i think um if i'm gonna be cynical about it it has kind of a uh undercover boss type of bullshit to it about (laughs) like like it reminds me of a movie that was at one of the, that screened during one of the at home TCM film festivals, the whistle at Eaton falls, which is a movie that is like ostensibly pro worker, but actually it seems to be arguing that like all the workers need is a good manager, you know, right. <laughs> as is, long as the as right guy's as, in charge, as long as the boss is a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. So I got, I was like, you know, probably a little annoyed with the uh, messaging of Mr. Cohen t- to walk uh but it's still um quite a charming movie i don't know what are you guys talking yeah so kind of the big i guess i don't want to say hook but kind of a notable thing about it if you couldn't clock from the name um the titular character is extremely jewish as is his whole family 
And this is not explicitly a plot point, but it is portrayed very sympathetically to the point where I was kind of on edge the whole time because I was like, okay, surely this is going to get cringy at some point. Like there is going to be a misstep that's just going to be like a yikes. And it never happened. There's even a scene in a synagogue that's just like they're just at a synagogue. And this is from 1935 from the UK. And I was just like flabbergasted by that. He's like. He's not like done up in some weird outfit. He, I mean, the actor was German. So he has just like a German accent. Um, Mm -hmm. But they're just like portrayed very humanely and just as charming and delightful, which was like like, shocking to me. Um, I will say he doesn't start the titular walk till more than halfway through the movie. Yeah. What is his airport? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And I would have maybe preferred he started walking sooner because the first bit It's just like it's demonstrating how he's starting to feel kind of useless in his old age because he's the owner of a department store and his sons are in the business. Very successful department store, but his sons are kind of running the joint. Yeah, they're kind of pushing him out. He's starting to feel useless. And so but like it gets kind of redundant in how they're like demonstrating that. I did like the bit of him uh, wandering into another guy's shop and kind of helping him run it. I thought that was a kind of good way to set up. Yeah. what the walk he eventually takes. So yeah, eventually he's just like, fuck all y'all. And he just starts walking around and then it kind of becomes Sullivan's travels for a little while, but like much less cynical, I think. Like yeah. I much, think much more charming. I much kind of charming. remind me of like a Renoir movie almost. Yeah. I'm just like mm-hmm. appreciating yeah. the countryside and just like getting the beauty of the wind. Cause they're like definitely hey, filming on location. Yeah, for sure. Don't forget another cute dog. Very uh, yeah. cute dog. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned filming on location. They're obviously out in the country when he goes on his walk, but even early on when he's outside the department store and he walks over to the other store, like I was looking at the extras quote unquote. And I, <laughs> I honestly think this was just like a street that they were shooting on. Maybe there, that people seem to be like looking at the camera a little bit. Like it, uh, uh, it seemed very, uh, very similitudinous. <laughs> Is that a word? <laughs> I mean, I said it. Okay. All right. Well, then I guess it's a word, but yeah, it's, um, I, I guess I wish there was more of the walk. Cause he like, you know, meets a few people and has these like charming encounters. Cause you mentioned undercover boss. He is, he is rich. He owns this fancy department store, but like, he's just dressed like a tramp. So like, right. nobody knows he's rich. So he keeps like stealthily sneaking, sneaking people money and like helping them out. I did also like the bit where he finds out he gave away too much money yeah. <laughs> and then doesn't have a way to get back home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's also, I mean, not to the extent of Castle, but it's like the 30s, you know, there was economic depression in 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 Britain as well. And, and that clearly plays a part because when he's on his walk, he befriends a, a down-on-his-luck chap, I guess, who's uh, uh, out of work and stealing chicken from a windowsill, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I, so in, in that sense... Like Man's Castle, it does feel like it's uh, has a historical worth as a document of of England at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also like a subplot about like interfaith marriage where like one of his his sons um, like wants to marry a Christian girl and they like, you know, the parents aren't thrilled about it. But like, spoiler alert, they figure it out. Yeah. And they're just like, this can work. This is fine. And I'm like, okay, good for you guys. Um, but yeah, and there's sort of like a subplot there. It's like you said, there is maybe 
you know, it's like, well, do they just need the right boss? But they're like kind of critiquing like the soullessness of the modern business world of like his sons are all about crunching the numbers and like you lose the human element. Um, so then, yeah, he comes in and just like, yeah, give the striking workers whatever they want. Yeah. So yeah. that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. I like he, he yeah. um, before he goes on his walk, when he comes into the store in the morning and the security guard, not knowing who he, who he is, gives him a good dressing down. And then he leaves a, a note for his son saying like the front door AM security guard is good. Give him a ride. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that got, so you guys watched it at home, but that got a big laugh in the theater. Yeah. And then he also, he's one of the people he talks to on his walk is this woman. And she says something that like stuck with me. What does she say? She's like getting older is like going down a road. It looks narrower when you're standing there, but then you get there and it's just as wide. And I was like, that's very wise. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I liked that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, another interesting fact about it is that in the version we saw and other parts of the world, it was called Father Takes a Walk. Um, in places they were worried that the Jewishness of it all would not play well. This is an amusing gambit to me because it becomes evident within yeah. seconds that they're all Jewish. So by then yeah. it's like, ah, we got your money. You're yeah. watching a movie yeah. about Jews. <laughs> um, but kind of a humorous bait and switch to get the anti-Semites in the theater, I guess. But yeah, yeah, I was charmed. Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, yeah definitely charming. And then that's um, it for me. What else? All right, we got with? one more. We got okay. one more. So we were planning on seeing Clash of the Wolves, which is a Rin Tin Tin movie. And then literally at the absolute last second, I was like, hey, real quick, did we see this already? And Scott's like, ooh, yes, we did. About 11 years ago. <laughs> yes. So we pivoted and we saw a shot in the dark, which neither of us had seen before. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, this was... It's a rather odd hybrid of things going on, but it kind of works because it was actually uh, they like bought the rights to a play and then like retconned it into a Clouseau movie. So mm -hmm. I think they point out it's maybe the only Clouseau movie where someone actually where people actually die. Oh, I maybe hmm. um, you were you at the same intro as me. Well, Clearly I wasn't listening. Attention. Um, so you have Peter Sellers as this very deadpan, but very slapsticky character but then you have blake edwards directing in a way that's like rather elegant yeah. and kind of sophisticated i mean as much as like blake edwards is associated with these movies do the chops yeah 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 for sure um you have this amazing score by henry mancini also very elegant and then there's like a murder mystery component so it's like and then apparently there's a lot of improv too so it's like how does this work <laughs> but it does um the gags are timeless like you know, it's just, it's like prop humor. It's people falling in lakes. It's just like, this stuff is just funny. And it's like executed to like surgical precision that it just like works. Um, obviously very fun with a crowd. Although there was a guy sitting in front of us who had an insane and very extended laugh. So when something funny would happen, he would laugh, he would keep laughing. And then other people would start laughing at his laugh. So like that can happen. Um, George Sanders is in it. And apparently he imposed a system where any time that a take was ruined because they were all laughing at Peter Sellers, they had to put a fine in a jar. And apparently they raised so much money that they like donated to a local farmer. And that's a <laughs> cute story. Um, yeah, it's, it's just very funny. Uh, if I had to nitpick, I would say my one criticism is maybe like, and based on what I know of Peter Sellers, who is apparently kind of insane and not a nice person, um, it kind of seemed like he wouldn't let anyone else be funny in the same scene as him a little bit, but also like sometimes what's funny about his performance 
and it only works if everyone else is kind of following suit is that he's doing all these ridiculous things, but constantly trying to keep his composure. Yeah. And it, like there's characters who point out that he's kind of a bubbling idiot, but for the most part, it becomes funnier that they're trying to play the plot straight. Right. I guess it's mm, like yeah. the, the only thing I noticed is that um, Herbert Lom, who plays his boss is also pretty funny, but they all, they have almost no scenes together. Right. So that's why I was wondering if it was literally like an ego thing of like, Oh, there can be another funny character. We just can't have scenes together or something. It might be, but know? I honestly think it's the right play. It almost kind of reaches like an airplane level of like a Zucker, Abram Zucker kind of vibe where like everyone's keeping on pace, even like as his like suits falling apart or like he's playing the scene drenched in water. Um, like it has these ridiculous setups, but he's the only one who's vaguely ridiculous. And that in the airplane, everyone's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. But I think it's almost funnier that no one else is acknowledging how strange this guy is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's fun. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's a good last minute pivot, but yeah, we, um, yeah. we had, didn't you look it up on letterboxd and that's how you figured out we saw. Yeah. Those. So it turns out we like that movie too. So check that out. Yeah. Clash of the Wolves is great. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, we had seen it as part of like a presentation on animals and movies at the Academy. And so I'd forgotten the title specific title other than we saw a Rintintin movie. So, um, yeah, I love a shot in the dark. I think, I think Tyler and I have both on this podcast said it's the best pink Panther movie. Okay. Um, I think it's the only one we've the seen. Only one I've, seen. Yeah. I've only, I've seen the first four, which means I've seen three with Peter Sellers and the third one, which is Alan Arkin as, Oh. It's, it's called Inspector Clouseau and it's Ellen Arkin. And then the the fourth one is called The Return of the Pink Panther because Peter Sellers is returning, but also the Pink Panther Diamond from the first one returns mm. and David Niven's character returns, but played by Christopher Plummer. And, <laughs> uh, but Herbert Lom, who plays uh, uh, Inspector Dreyfus, or he's like the inspector, I can't remember what his title is, but he's Dreyfus, yeah. he's the boss. He continued to be in Pink Panther movies long after uh, Peter Sellers hmm. was dead. His last one was uh, 1993, Son of the Pink Panther, which I think is the Roberto Benigni one. There's a Roberto Benigni one? Benigni? Benigni? Yeah, I got no sleep. Me. Remember? Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was a it was a fun way to close out the festival for sure. Um, and yeah, it, I mean, it was a pretty good year for me. I feel like I didn't have any duds really. I definitely didn't have any duds. Uh, I, there were fewer like big discoveries for me. I think Mr. Cohen takes a walk is the closest to that mm -hmm. that okay. I had. Um, looking through my schedule, well, Man's Castle too was yeah. also, but that, that yeah. felt like less of a discovery because I'd been wanting to stay for so long and always expect to be great so yeah yeah so uh yeah good festival overall i i just need to next year i don't know get some more sleep beforehand <laughs> or like yeah yeah i don't know well, i, I mean, don't want to be like a red bull or five hour energy guy but i might have to be i mean there may come a day where we'll just have you'll have seen everything they're showing and then what'll you do yeah I'll just hang out at Dave and Buster's. I guess so. <laughs> what other recourse do you have? Yeah. All right. Well, um, we've been going long enough. We got a late start. So uh, let's wrap this up. Yep. Uh, thank you, Julie, for being here. Uh, of course. My pleasure. Thank you, Scott, for being almost as good as Tyler. Of course. Uh, you can find us at battleshipretention.com. I will eventually be posting sort of like uh, 
wrap ups of of written wrap ups of of what I what I saw here once I once I catch up on on some other stuff uh, at battleshipretention.com you can uh, email us at email me at david at battleshipretention.com follow me on twitter at davy pretension if you got a blue sky invite for me send me a blue sky invite <laughs> I don't have one I, I put in for one I guess I'm we'll on the see. outside looking in yeah um send me your blue sky invites at Davy pretension. Um, I gotta get, I gotta get Davy pretension to blue sky. So when someone's going to try and steal I mean, it from me, I was going to say, now you're just put it out there and now. Yeah. Someone's gonna try and steal it from me. Yeah. Um, don't do that guys. Be cool. <laughs> uh, um, so anyway, that's the, what I saw. So also check out my other podcast. It's called the one where I met your mother. My wife, Natalie and I watched an episode of friends and episode of how I met your mother. We're into season five now, if you can believe it. Um, so that's, you can find those at battleshowpretension.com or wherever you find podcasts. Uh, Julie, do you want people to find you online? Not really. I mean, like okay. I'm on Twitter, but I'm like, we're in the, the dying days of Twitter. It's a very like end but of high school gonna... feel over there. I don't know. But people remember when everyone was like posting their like uh, uh, like favorite tw- Twitter memories because we thought it wasn't gonna like last the weekend and that was like four months ago. Yeah, like, like it's, it'll it'll probably be fine. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You can see me at the movies. You'll see me at the pictures. How's that? <laughs> All right. Keep Scott? it enigmatic for now. Uh, yeah, still on Twitter, Rail of Tomorrow, and Letterboxed. Um, that's it. All right. Well, uh, thank you again for being here. Thank you at home for listening. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.